now the blood of Amos will be shared. Now stop it! Stop that! Hold the outlander! What the hell's going on here? What are you, crazy? What do you think you're doing? My passage. It's my birthday. You got a pretty sick way of celebrating it, pal. Listen, I don't... Silence, interloper. Your presence does profane this holy place. He will reckon with you. Well, that's terrific. I don't know who he is, but maybe he'd like to discuss the medical side of what's going on here with me. It's as it should be. Amos. It's as it is written. Speak no more to him. He is an unbeliever. Hello, everyone, and welcome to the Empathy Machine Podcast. I'm Andrew Ford, and joining me, as always... Once again, it's Josh, a kiss. We've, we definitely have not tried to record this yet. This is the first time, so I don't know what you're talking about. No, this is um, uh, this is a we're one take wonders. Yes, and uh, we are not going to be interrupted by Andrew getting any uh, deliveries of uh, fancy headphones or anything. No more, no more dogs across the hall. No more dishwashers. No more nothing. Just pure straight children of the corn talk. That's what we're talking about this week. <laughs> Childrens of the corns, I think, because uh, we are talking about all of them films. Yes, uh, how, there are 10, including the Dollar Baby short. Uh, and you actually alerted me to a little piece of news that I was not aware of. Uh, why don't you go ahead and let everybody know what that is. There's about to be another film in the franchise, the first one in, in six years, it looks like, which is one of the, the longer gaps that there's been. Mm-hmm. Uh, this one is going to be written, or has been written, by the same gentleman who wrote and directed children of the corn genesis and we'll get to our thoughts on that one towards the end of the episode probably and directed by john Gulliger for uh, this new one called children of the corn runaway uh i'm i'm looking forward to that especially since i didn't hate genesis i mean a little spoiler warning for the towards the end of our podcast but i didn't hate that one yeah you really you really gave gave away the whole uh, game why would they even listen now that's <laughs> Uh, well, um, the, the good news is we're going to go chronologically and, uh, they start off pretty well. I think the first entry we're going to discuss is from 1983. It's directed by John Woodward. It was released as part of the night shift collections, uh, that came out on VHS. It was part of the second one where it shared a VHS tape with the night waiter, which again, if you (laughs) didn't listen last week has nothing to do with Stephen King. So it's a nice little fun thing. Yeah, it, it was, it was a pretty good short though. Mm-hmm. But let's talk about Disciples of the Crow. It's uh, it hues very closely to the original story. Yes. Which uh, I'm a bad host and I didn't actually read, even though the book is sitting on my shelf right there. <laughs> I can see it from my recording pod. So uh, I feel like well, we I, should stop I, the recording again <laughs> so I can go read it. But no, no, we'll continue. What's what's this again you're talking about? We've never stopped it before. Um, <laughs> I I read, I went back and read over it. I, I had read Night Shift pretty recently as a whole, like the whole collection. So I didn't want to go back and I sort of skimmed through it this time. But basically, uh-huh. especially after watching several different adaptations of it, I was like pretty familiar with what was going to happen. The main difference between this, the short story and pretty well, almost every version of every version of of uh, every film version that's tried to adapt the story uh-huh. is that at the end of the short story spoiler alert our two main characters uh, are are dead wow they survive disciples of the crow although there's a little you know sort of like a question mark at the end or is it uh, right. the credits but just it's a it's a fun little short there's a couple of key things that i wanted to mention about it that i think are interesting uh, i think there's a lot of 
craft on display. Yes, that, uh, definitely. It's pretty neat. There's a, a moment where there's a match cut from a woman is about to get hit with an axe by one of the kids. And uh, it, as, the, as the axe is about to hit her, uh, or as she's about to scream because she sees the axe is about to hit her, uh, they cut to a, a squawking crow. Uh, and I believe that's when they cut ahead like 10 years too. And then, we, then we're with the couple on the roadside. So I think that's interesting. And another weird thing is that it takes place in Oklahoma instead of Nebraska. Yeah, that, I didn't quite understand that unless they legitimately were just filmmakers from Oklahoma and wanted to set it there. Yeah, I mean, it's uh, it's not really necessary, I guess. that it, there's, there's no, I don't know, Oklahoma-specific stuff going on that wasn't there. So, I don't know. But no. yeah, that's all I could think of. So that's Disciples of the Crow. It's on YouTube. Uh, it's actually worth checking out. Uh, I think it's, in, in many respects, it's as good as the first film that was adapted from the short story. Uh, I would say in most, the the first film does have uh, the benefit of the fact that it stars Linda Hamilton and Peter Horton, who mm-hmm. are, are both really good actors. Also, Courtney Gaines plays uh, Malachi in the film. Mm-hmm. So, yeah, like there's a lot of good folks in that. And not to belittle the people in the Dollar Baby, because it's a Dollar Baby. And they probably were working on a, a much tighter schedule and with much smaller budget. But yeah, all, all respect to uh, Disciples of the Crow. Why don't we move on into Children of the Corn from 1984, the uh, first film adaptation, feature length film adaptation of the short story. And it was directed by Fritz Kirsch. That sounds right. Does that sound? Yeah. Yeah, I'll go with that. I don't know. What did you, what did you think? Uh, first of all, had you seen this before? I grew up in rural Indiana, uh, for those of you who don't know. And Children of the Corn was such a, a touchstone for me, actually. Okay. We kind of moved from uh, like a downtown city area out to the country when I was in grade school. And I watched Children of the Corn then and it was like, oh, this totally makes sense. Like religious fervor and uh, rural places. It just seemed to go together. So, yeah. Oh, I didn't realize that it was such a big deal. Because like, I, I, I mean, I've always been kind of creeped out by cornfields just in general. But most... <laughs> I could, but I didn't grow up near that though. I grew up in South Carolina, so I mean, I think we they have some corn, but in Indiana we actually have like Indiana Beach, which is a water park, mm-hmm. and their their tagline was "There's more than corn in Indiana," <laughs> so, which is to say that no, there's not really more than corn in Indiana. I, I love my homeland, the Hoosier State, but kind of the wide open vistas, and I know it's not truly uh, the Midwest or what have you. It's still considered East. Uh, by a lot of folks, but it really kind of has the same flavor. There's just like big open stretches of, of cornfields. And every time I travel back home, actually up to my parents' place, like there's a different switch in my brain that turns on. Mm -hmm. There's something about like just those huge flat areas. I don't know. It, it, it opens up my imagination in a different way. And, you know, children of the corn is probably like a formative thing. Uh, in that respect. Also the fact that when we moved out to the country, I got picked on for not going to church. And so this really like it, it fit into my whole cosmology of understanding my area and probably made me more antagonistic to those people than I would have been otherwise. But you know, when you go to some place and they pick on you for not being a churchgoer by calling you a Satan worshiper, it just sets a weird tone. It's very, it's very strange. 
So I could I could see how Troll Another Corn could happen, basically. Which is not speaking anything about the film itself, just my personal experience with it. But had you seen this particular version of this uh, story before? I, I thought I had, but I'm not 100% sure because especially once we got to the ending, uh-huh. I was like, I've, I have never seen this before. Like, <laughs> I don't know if I... It seems like the the kind of movie that I might have caught on cable in bits and pieces and never watched the entire thing. Really? I remember it was always something that it when it would show up in like the TV guide when I would like scan the newspaper to see what was coming on. It was never like it, it would get like maybe one and a half stars or like two stars out of like five. And I was always like, I don't need to watch that. There was a weird I still remember like like star ratings for like weird movies from the late 90s. From okay. thing. So it's kind of strange. And I would like that was my first time like disagreeing with the critic was I was like, you give Tomorrow Never Dies three and a half stars. It's not that good. <laughs> anyway, this isn't about Tomorrow Never Dies. But yeah, I mean, uh, Children, Children of the Corn was I don't think I'd seen it before, but I, I do know that the premise has always been in, in my head because I've always I've always thought that was an interesting idea. And I think. Especially, it sounds like from where when you were growing up, like the idea of um, growing up in the rural South, like I did, religion is just everywhere uh-huh. in that same kind of way. Although I went to church because I didn't want to be a loser, so I don't know. But <laughs> yeah, you, you you wanted to enter into the glory and kingdom of of heaven, and uh, yeah, I just mostly wanted to eat sugary cereals. So yeah, I mean, well, you know, I, I wanted to sleep in on Sundays and. Um, and not do that so <laughs> i mean we could have a yeah i don't know but uh now that the more that you talk about the 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 people being made fun of for not going to church in indiana the more i'm starting to understand mike pence um and his support <laughs> <laughs> okay that makes so, sense uh but yeah i mean he uh, he's like a full-grown isaac um mm-hmm. no he, i think the, the 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 genius of king's initial premise is, is uh i think not as not as well served as it could be by any of the films that we're going to talk about today. Yes, but it's 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 really smart in the way that it's basically shows like yeah like you know it shows like sort of the the fallacy of of religion in some in some ways like organized religion and all like and also the inevitable byproduct of of that level of devotion or belief that seems to be required of people, especially in sounds like somewhere like Indiana, but. Well, and I, yeah. uh, I think it's a kind of a, a criticism and or a, a warning of the people at the top of those structures, the, mm-hmm. the ones who are proclaiming that, that they are the only conduit of, you know, grace or information from the higher power uh, and that they can, you know, twist the, the words to their liking. And, you know, this is definitely my take on it, but it doesn't hurt that we're working on a script about a cult <laughs> that that's kind of the lens that i viewed it through yeah but yeah i, I definitely think that uh the the story itself has a lot of setup for more kind of a, a critical take on that kind of thing and uh, i think you can deliver the the thrill spills and chills uh that the films try to and still speak to that vision as well but none of them really have quite nailed that uh, that balance quite right i don't think this it's funny you mentioned that like this one i think comes maybe closer than a lot of the others mm-hmm. and i don't think it has to keep the short stories ending where the the are the main characters are falling uh where they they are killed in the short story uh they right. they both survive the movie spoilers i guess 
But uh, what's interesting to me is like, I think where the movie falters is in its ending where he who walks behind the rose is revealed to be real and CGI. And I think that undercuts the entire thing. It's 1984 CGI, it's special effects. Yeah, I so that's say, not going to be very good. But I, I, I don't think most of it is CG. I th- I think it's it might just be animated. Yeah, I think it's a lot of the same techniques that they used to create the uh, the opening titles of the thing. Okay, yeah, I can you see know, that. I, th- I think it's that same kind of uh, kind of effect work. But I think I think just having that having the creature be real that they're worshiping undercuts everything to me. Um, it does to a certain degree, and. I don't know. I'm of two minds about it because I think it totally could be revealed that the the creature is real or the power is real. And if it chooses to lay everybody low, like, you know, the people who have adhered to it supposedly says and, Mm -hmm. and the interlopers or the outlanders Mm -hmm. it, that could work. It could be interesting if it just consumes Isaac as the, the leader Mm-hmm. but it, it kind of kills him and then brings it. I don't know. It's very strange and it does. It gets incredibly muddled. Like you have a, a great through line for the first like three quarters of this film. Mm-hmm. And then once that reveal happens, it's, it gets a little mushy. It's not, it's not nearly as strong as the beginning. I don't think there. The, yeah. Like you said, there is a way for the creature for it to be real and, it, and the movie to still work. But yeah, yeah, like the, the ending strikes me as sort of an early version of, there's always there have always been horror movies that have done things like this, but it builds to sort of a hyperactive, more action-heavy climax, where a quieter, more mundane thing would have worked better. It seems like yes. they needed some sort of fireworks at the end to just to justify whatever. I don't know. To it seems like it's been like workshop to death, and it's like, well, we have all this, and there's all these major developments that happen. Like you mentioned, Isaac being resurrected and possessed by the thing. Like Isaac dies and is resurrected by he who walks behind the rose within like two minutes. You know, it's like it happens so fast. Yeah. And all these major developments are happening. They're not given any room to breathe. And it's just it's just a weird a series of weird decisions. And after that, the basically it, I don't want to throw out the whole movie because of the ending. I didn't, you know, but it, it definitely leaves a sour taste going out. It's like, ah, well, it was all right. I don't know. It's, um, That's uh, a situation is kind of a problem that I think of uh, mid-period uh, X-Files episodes having where once they started getting a bigger budget, they started making kind of these bigger action scenes in some of the episodes mm-hmm. when it was like, I don't know, it just doesn't need it. And it feels a little bit tacked on to some of them until they really kind of ironed that out. And it definitely feels the same way here because the movie starts so strong. Mm-hmm. You know, I I definitely think that both the introduction of the children and the the cult, the religion, I don't know, what, however you want to look at it, mm-hmm. uh, the introduction of what they do <laughs> to all the adults in that diner scene is really, really well done. Mm-hmm. And also the introduction of uh, Bert and Vicky, uh, characters played by Peter and uh, Linda, Peter Horton and Linda Hamilton. Oh, your best uh, friends, Peter and Linda. Yeah. My, my, my good friends. <laughs> good old Peter and Linda. Actually, Peter Horton totally looks like a guy who would be your friend. Yeah, he seems like a... He's got like a Stephen Weberiness. Does that make sense? Oh, definitely. Yep. Yeah. That's a, that's the person I kept thinking of. I'm like, who who does he remind me of? Anyway, yeah. I interrupted you. I'm sorry. <laughs> <laughs> but the... So the movie starts with that bang of 
the the children taking over the town and it is really really well done in visceral and um kind of upsetting in a really good slasher film sort of way um i mean what do you think of that opening just in and of itself well it sets up i mean it's just a really neat like moral quandary that they're stuck with you know and i think it like they they he hits a kid with a car that sucks yes but the kid was already dead that's weird yes but where they need to find the nearest town and i think they they just they just keep going and then they they like get turned they like pass a sign and then they they get turned around and then they pass the same sign they're like fuck it we're just gonna go to gatlin and we'll see what's there and then they stop by the mechanic who is not in the short story or any of the other or or the remake of this basically he's not in that character isn't in that either uh, no, he, he, he is but he's a skeleton that's right uh, <laughs> in the remake but he, he's played by rg armstrong and he may also be played by rg armstrong in the remake i don't know <laughs> <laughs> but uh he uh who's just a great character actor uh who had been in a million things by this point and uh yeah, i really like that inclusion of that character in this i i think that is part of the first half that's much stronger where they're you're, they're able to build the atmosphere there's a lot of uh cloud work going on oh i love uh, i love the cloud work actually it's that's, really cool like it's yeah. hard it's uh it's a cloud tank but it's like yeah cool it's more of that please like it looks cool so i um, think there's some cloud tank some of it is um probably sped up time lapse stuff uh it's hard to tell uh to mix so but the what i specifically wanted to touch on was a thing that gets discarded more and more as these sequels go on which is the fact that you we spend a lot of time with uh, Bert and Vicky at the beginning, mm-hmm. and we see them kind of play cute with each other. I believe it's his birthday, and is that right? It's his birthday. She does a little dance, and we've seen like so many of these movies, and I had to watch some of them twice <laughs> to tell what was going on. So, um, <laughs> uh, but we see them being like cute and sweet with each other, and then we see him kind of be annoyed with each other a little bit. Mm-hmm kind of irritated that they're on this long cross country drive, just like anybody would be. And despite the film kind of getting goofy towards the end and simplifying their relationship, they seem like real people. Like it does Mm -hmm. a good job of letting us spend time with them before the shit hits the fan. And I don't know. It carries for me. It gives me a lot of goodwill towards where the, where the film goes because I like these people. I think they're, you know, I, I would like to, grab a drink with them or have a game night with them or whatnot. Well, it's, uh, I had forgotten actually about the hotel room scene at the very beginning, which is perfect because it's, it's in addition to the short story, but it's, uh, such a Stephen Kingy moment to have her sing him like a, like a rock and roll song. Yes. Like, I don't know. It's like such a, cause it's, it's awkward, but she sells it like a yes. lesser performer would not have sold it. And if I, if it was on the page, it would have been something that I would have been like, yeah, I should have cut that. That should have been, but it was added and it actually works really well. And I was like, that's, and it, this movie does something that you, like you, you said uh, that the other movies, a lot of the other movies don't, which is that not only does it spend time with these characters, but it understands that you have to like them first before yes. bad things start happening to them. Whereas specifically with the remake, well, we'll talk about that later. Oh, we'll, we'll get there. We'll, we'll get there. We'll get there. Right. Okay, we got so is plenty it, of time. <laughs> yeah. Is there anything else that you wanted to say specifically about this first one before we move on to uh, part two? I think that there is one moment. There's, there are a few shots where P- Peter Horton, right, is the actor who plays the the 
boyfriend, husband, yeah, male lead. Yeah, my, my buddy Peter. Your, your friend Peter, uh, old Petey yep. boy. Uh, he's he's in the, uh, the hayloft with the, the two kids who are sort of helping him try to get out of there. To, the, the two kids who don't really go along with the other corn kids. And uh, it's interesting. There's There's some cool shots there that reminded me of shots from Night of the Hunter. Yes. Where yep. they're like looking out over the field. It, it was interesting because I feel like maybe maybe it was even something that the filmmakers were thinking about as like a sort of the, it's like a uh, mirror universe of, you know, version of sort of a flip side of uh, of Night of the Hunter where like Robert Mitchum is this evil person chasing these innocent kids. Now it's sort of the opposite where, and Robert Mitchum's also a preacher in that. And uh, yeah, just, the, I don't know. It, there, there's an interesting, they're in dialogue with each other in a way that I think maybe wasn't on the page and sort of comes up in this movie, but isn't really explored in any depth, but we get some cool shots out of it. So that's nice. I don't know if they work really hard or if they're just showcasing what they had, but you really get a good sense of place Mm -hmm. with the cinematography and kind of those wide, you know, those big shots of the cornfield. I mean, on one hand it's boring, but it's a cornfield and it gives you (laughs) like (laughs) given the context, it's, you know, anything could be in that corn and it's kind of like, I mean, this is a high praise for it or whatever, but it, some of those shots gave me like a, a very Terrence Malick kind of a feel. You're just looking at all this nature out there, mm-hmm. except for it's being used for a totally different effect, but it had that same, like, you're just looking at this field full of mystery and <laughs> instead of being wonder it's children with uh, sickles. <laughs> That's a good point. By the way, before we, it keeps taking me out of the conversation, which so I'm going to mention it because if it seems like I'm distracted, that there's a there's a reason. There's people working on the roof outside, not my roof, but a roof like adjacent to my building. So, apologies okay. in advance if, if you guys can hear that. No, that, that Terrence Malick's another really good reference point, and maybe it's maybe we're overstating it a bit, but if if we are, it's only because the rest of the films don't really have this element. <laughs> And so we, we, we appreciate it for its absence from the rest. Uh, it's, it's really, it's pretty well done here. Yeah. It might just be me responding to how the rest of the movies, uh, treat place oh. on with the rest of the movie. Oh, what? Wait, wait, one more, what? one more. Okay. One more. Get it Cor- in there. Corny Gaines. Oh, uh, Courtney Gaines. Yes. Fantastic. Might be number one corn kid of the whole bunch. Isaac probably gets a lot of the attention cause he gets a whole movie where he returns later. Yes. But in terms of like, the the main you know antagonist throughout the rest of the series courtney Gaines probably the number one best performance best character most interesting character yeah like villain character anyway i have to say like this one and you know i'm gonna have some praise for some of the other ones uh, as we go through them but this one like legitimately has some really good like good movie stuff in it like mm-hmm. actual real good film stuff and these performances i think are really good i kind of wish that there was a whole movie about courtney Gaines in this movie because <laughs> he is he, he plays kind of the muscle of the group which is a pattern that we see repeated through the, throughout the rest of them but uh yeah he's he is terrifying and also interesting so that's yeah. it checks all the boxes <laughs> so it would take a while for the next sequel to come out which I think is interesting because this made money. Yeah. And you can definitely tell that it takes a while for the next one to come out <laughs> because the 1984 
versions of these kids really seem like they stepped out of the past. Mm-hmm. But moving on to Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice, by directed by, let me take that word again, directed <laughs> by David F. Price. It's, like I said, 92. It's eight years later. All of the kids' haircuts are a little bit off. They mm-hmm. all look like 90s kids. <laughs> and it it is one of those things that just like takes you right out of it. Or it takes a little getting used to, at least. But uh, why don't you give us a little bit of what uh, this this one was about? Now, I'm a little hazy on the plot because there's a lot of separate like threads going on throughout. Yes. But it, yes. it opens up with them finding like a basement full of dead kids uh, or right. dead adults. Dead adults, because that's dead how adults. these films work. Yeah. <laughs> basement full of dead adults. They take all the corn kids out on a bus, except for one of the kids who also lives in the town or nearby or something whose mom is hot. Uh, is, gets possessed <laughs> by the spirit of he who walks behind the rose, and there and sparks a new cult that comes up. Meanwhile, there's our main character is a tabloid journalist or journalist who's maybe he's just I don't know. I think it's implied that he works for a tabloid. I, I think he was a legit journalist who has fallen from grace because you see the other reporters they know him and they're there from I don't know they they name drop some other news show I think and basically they kind of mock him. Yeah. And he basically comes to town to write a story about it and ends up falling for the hot mom. And meanwhile, he has a son who falls for the hot mom's daughter. No, not the hot mom's nope. daughter, nope. different nope. daughter. Just, yeah. Different. Someone because else's this is, daughter. Yeah. See, this is, it, it's, it's all a kind of a jumble. <laughs> it's a neighboring town. Mm-hmm. And a couple people have adopted the kids from Gatlin who keep sneaking out at night to kind of like re, remake you know their corn cult or what have you and the girl and i don't just want to call them hot mom and hot teen um <laughs> but the the younger love interest yes lo- love interest the younger <laughs> she used to live in gatlin and her parents i believe shipped her to live with her aunt and uncle or something before the events happened in gatlin mm-hmm. which is how she knows a lot and she's kind of tied in but also She's not, which they don't explain. They're explaining about as well as we do, <laughs> actually, well, as I, you, as you go through the film. You you remember it a little like I, I was really hazy. I was worried about talking about this one because I'm, I'm really hazy remembering the specific plot points because I remember like or like remembering the narrative because I remember these like more pointed like sequences like there's the one in the field with the harvester and there's the bit there's the death scenes which are noteworthy which we'll talk about in in short order but i think there's a lot of standout moments but on the whole it kind of merged into like a like i don't remember much about what there's a native american character who comes in at one point to sort of who knows what's going on yes apparently and he he's one of the first things he talks about is he actually says the word koyanis katsi and it completely i was like I, like when he said that, I was like, "Wait, what the fuck? What is going yeah, where on? Where did this come from?" Like that movie. So there's a movie called Koyanis Katsi, In case people don't know, but it came out in 1982, and I was just like, "I know that it's a word that means it means like life out of balance." Yes. Like, but man, just <laughs> in the Children of the Corn movie, like I was like not expecting that <laughs> at all. Well, and on my personal notes, I didn't put it on the uh, the the shared doc. But um, I had my notes were Koyanis Katsi. Koyanis Katsi. Wait, how do you say it? Koyanis Katsi. There's a song, dude. Koyanis Katsi. <laughs> uh, and then immediately after that, the sassy Indian guy is great. 
because mm-hmm. I I loved his character of like the uh, he's the one guy who's smart, mm-hmm. uh, and not only is he smart, he's like a he's a professor, and so he's not just like wise old Indian kind of stereotype. Like he's the one person who kind of bridges old and new, and he's just a, he's a fun character. I say the word fun all the time, but he is he's a really <laughs> fun character. But yeah, I the the whole movie has a different feel than the first one. The first one has a more I was trying to think of a, an analog. Maybe something like Texas Chainsaw or it it has a feel of a real sense of place and mm-hmm. time and just a, a visceral nature to it. Whereas this one definitely feels like a, a an early 90s horror flick. It's kind of slick. Uh, mm-hmm. In that same way that a lot of them are, it made me think of uh, Pet Cemetery Two as well, where yeah. it, even the outdoor scenes, like the the nighttime scenes, they look lit in just a very specific studio sort of way. Like there's no attempt to make it realistic. It just has a uh, this kind of sheen on it, which I was impressed by actually, because it wasn't just people in a backyard making it, mm. and there's also a CGI corn dimension. This is true. Uh, <laughs> that, that happens. And this is definitely early CGI. Um, yes. It's, it's it's different. It's certainly... Well, I think you bring up a good point, too, before we... Well, I guess there's really not much else to say about the CGI corn dimension. There's a CGI corn dimension. It looks weird. Yeah. Uh, but uh, the, the thing that the first one has that this one doesn't is the first one very... It, it isn't just that it's a sense of place, like it has establishing shots. Like, you know kind of how that town is laid out. And this yes. one, like, there's there's like a town square. There's like uh, a, a place where like an old lady has a house uh, that's right. up on stilt. You know, that's it's being worked on right now <laughs> at the moment. Um, and uh, <laughs> oh, that's what we're hearing. Yeah, and uh, and then uh, there's a, uh, a like a, a, a main street kind of with like a bingo parlor, but it, it doesn't all lay out side by side. Which I think is more, I mean, it's more accurate to how a lot more small towns are in America, but it's its a different, you have a hard time, like, getting your grounding, and then, like, where are the cornfields in relation to the town? I'm not sure, you know? Yeah, it, it definitely, it, it feels like everything in this movie is on a, is, like, built on different sets, mm-hmm. you know, kind of like a back lot sort of a thing, and they could be right next to each other, or it could be 15 minutes away. So you, you kind of miss that, just that real visceral feel of, hey, this was a town we stumbled into. Because it definitely, uh, it, it doesn't seem like the places that are next to each other in the fiction are actually next to each other. But also there's the whole thing we mentioned with the first one starting off grounded in reality. And then it gets ridiculous towards the end with the the entrance of he who walks behind the rose. This one right from the beginning starts with supernatural weird forces you don't see the cgi corn dimension for a while but there's a there's a corn force that Mm -hmm. um i I think is this the one where somebody actually gets force choked or is that uh, a different one but yeah i don't i actually don't remember that from any of them but i'm sure it happens uh yeah the the news crew at the beginning that's making fun of our main character they drive into a field because they're lost which is I mean, it's, it's, it strains a bit of credulity. It's like, let's turn into this cornfield and see if it cuts yeah. through. No, it does. You fucking dummy. <laughs> Which is fine. I mean, it, it works. Like it's it's a it's a neat little um, sequence where they get you know 
stuck in the corn and then they get killed by the corn and it's yeah. like, okay like fair enough <laughs> that's the kind of movie we're gonna get uh it, it's a it's interesting there's there's also some adults seem to be in on it like isn't there like the sheriff is in on it later on or like one of the police officers is in on it what the yeah. kids are doing well it i don't know the whole thing is just weird because it feels like 17 different reasons for what's happening <laughs> but i realize it's just a couple but the they go from he who walks behind the rose mm-hmm. to the kids were just brought up wrong <laughs> <laughs> and I think the people adopting them are trying to rehab them in some kind of weird way mm-hmm. to ergot poisoning <laughs> from which isn't corn. I'm pretty sure it's rye, actually. Isn't that that's what they blamed on the uh, or that's what they the scientific explanation for like the witch witchcraft outbreaks or whatever. Yes, exactly. Um, also, that episode of X-Files. Yes. Where Sully hears voices. Uh, what the fuck? OK, take that again. <laughs> I'm sorry. I was actually reading an email from my work, uh, my coworker who's named Sully, <laughs> where Scully hears voices. Uh-huh. <laughs> that was ridiculous. Um, <laughs> wow! Of all, the, right. of all the things for me to screw up. I mean, look, um, I mean, it's only. I mean, in keeping with the spirit of these films, that I think we've got. You know, we've got a lot of construction work in the background. We're flubbing yes. the occasional word. We've started over a couple times already. We're not doing that again. Uh, so, um, <laughs> but the uh, second one is pretty good. Let's let's the second children of the corn. Pretty fun. Pretty you, good. You mentioned the X Files already, and you described yeah. it as like a few different X Files plots, in like going on at the same time as each other in a yes. movie. What like what? Uh, why don't you expand on that a little bit? Because I thought it was interesting. I mean, it definitely it kind of feels like they took a a grab bag of um, elements from X Files episodes with. I mean. You have the uh, the Indian um, Native American first people. I'm, I'm so bad at this. Uh, <laughs> you have that fellow who is also uh, a professor, which is like a common thing, especially in early X-Files episodes where they would find specifically Mulder would find these experts to kind of back up his statements mm-hmm. who were learned men, but also, you know, wise in the, in the ancient ways or what have you. Mm-hmm. Um the uh blaming it on mold it actually being a supernatural thing even though there's they build a case for totally rational explanations yeah but then it turns out to be supernatural anyway which is you know most x-files is right and i don't know it was just really also the fact that they were throwing it felt like every piece of spaghetti at the wall (laughs) with uh, the different love interests, the, the the teenage boy, the son of the reporter, being like lured into the cult, mm-hmm. into the corn cult, kind of that balance. Also, there was a lot of detail I felt like paid to the, I don't know, kind of the smaller characters and the things that were going on in the town uh, mm-hmm. that didn't necessarily add up, but I appreciated them with the... Um, I think the doctor is in on it, like you said, and the, the sheriff and this, all this, I don't know. It was, it was fun and kind of wacky in a really good way, including mm-hmm. some of the, uh, death scenes, which is the thing that you traditionally look for in these kinds of films. What was your favorite death scene in this movie? Well, my favorite death scene was probably the one where the kids gang up on an old lady in a wheelchair and they push her out in the middle of the street. And you think, they're gonna. You think they're gonna do something worse? You, they, they, she doesn't know what's gonna happen to her. 
It's like, right. what's going on? All these kids are going to, they're going to beat me up. They're going to take my, take my bingo money. They're going to throw me in the gutter. They're going to knock me out of my wheelchair, all this stuff. No, they leave her in the wheelchair. They push her in the middle of the street and then a fucking dump truck, like 18 wheeler looking car just comes up and just hits the back of her wheelchair. And she completely defying all laws of physics, but that, that's what makes it great. It, she goes on it. She doesn't get run over by it. It hits no, her and no, it, she does not. It launches her into the window of a, a bingo game, like a storefront where there's a bingo game going on and she smashes into the window. And I think she hits like a, a an electrical sign or something. Cause it like sparks or something. Yes. And uh, at that point she, she's also pretty, I think clearly replaced by a mannequin or a dummy, but whatever, who cares? It's the best. I, I, death hope, scene. They, I, <laughs> I hope they replaced her before she threw, through, flew through the glass. Yeah. Well, one would hope, but uh, it's, it's an incredible death scene. Uh, maybe the best in the entire series. I don't know. Yes. There's some pretty good ones in part three. The, there was a couple good ones in this one. Um, the the wheelchair bingo was fantastic. Also, they don't push her into the street. Mm-hmm. They take control of her electric wheelchair with the remote control, which oh, okay, that's right. <laughs> which was kind of its own amazing detail because <laughs> they also could have just pushed her in the middle of the street. It doesn't matter. Um, <laughs> uh, this is also the one. Uh, where you have an old lady getting smushed by a house, which, which is a lot of, uh, people's worst fears that, you know, are wicked witches. Basically, mm-hmm. <laughs> it's, it's not something that you see in a lot, in a lot of films. Uh, but you know, I, I believe you did a quick search and couldn't find a whole lot of, um, old lady smashed by houses occurring in films. Is that right? That's true. That's true. I think, I think the only, there's a big one, where a witch was smashed by a house, but um, I couldn't find too many with old ladies being smashed by houses. But before, real quick, before because I almost forgot, on TNT they showed this with Joe Bob Briggs' Monster Vision, and they cut mm-hmm. out the fucking wheelchair death. They cut it out even of though, the broadcast. Even though he talks about it at the beginning. Right? Even though he talks about it at the beginning of the episode. And then, then later comments on, I can't believe they cut that out, which it's, it's crazy to me. So Because then I also understand how Joe Bob Briggs does his produces his segments, which right. seems to be in concurrent fashion. Like as, <laughs> as he's watching the film, like it's happening live and they're editing it live. I think produces is like he produced them because this is, they, this hasn't been on in forever. Yeah. But it made me like, I, I would watch a few of these every you know, when I was a kid and it was cool to find a copy of this hanging out on the internet. And uh, it was a neat little revisit, but yes, uh, the wizard of Oz, Crushed woman with a house. I'm, I'm sorry. Did you say the Lizard of Oz? I said the Wizard of Oz. Oh, okay. That's but yeah, that's, that's it's probably all the power tools in the background. <laughs> Has a man ever been crushed by a house? Is it just women? Oh man, here you are. You're like bringing to light <laughs> some real double standards. It it feels like maybe a man should have been crushed by a house. I, I think men have been crushed by shipping containers. I'm trying and to think you know of what. Like, yeah, I th- I think there's a metaphor there where the you know Hollywood is trying to really just portray uh, and reinforce the fact that they think that women belong in the house, or maybe they're crushed by belonging. They're killed by the fact that they belong in the. I don't know. Yeah, there's something there. Yeah, maybe. I don't. Know. I was trying to think of a house landed on anyone in Twister, and I couldn't. I couldn't think. I think they drive they, through a house. They drive through a house. But doesn't that one doesn't land on anybody? Um, also, it's um, not two cows. That's the same cow same cow um well uh but yeah the the second children of the corn movie it's still 
pretty solid. It's very far removed from the source material. Mm-hmm. So don't go in expecting another adaptation. It's also pretty far removed from the first film. So don't go in expecting a real sequel. It's just kind of a, a, a weird little horror movie uh, from but the it, early 90s. It, it's it's an enjoyable way to to spend a little little bit of time, I think. It is. And I think uh, it, I want to be very clear. Like We may joke around about some of these, but this is one of the good ones of the bunch. <laughs> yes. It sounds like we're being hard on it. Just trust us. Like we're, it's, It gets worse. <laughs> Yeah, we'll get there. <laughs> Why don't we go ahead to the third film in the illustrious Children of the Corn franchise, and I believe the first one produced by Dimension Films, I think. Sounds right. It's from 1995. <laughs> it's directed by James D.R. Hickox. I assume it stands for uh, Dominican Republic. And <laughs> it's called Children of the Corn 3 Urban Harvest. Uh-huh. Featuring a young Charlize Theron in a very small role where yeah, she gets... I- she she gets killed by corn. She she doesn't really show up for like, I mean I was looking for her the whole time and I, I didn't really see her till the end of the movie. So I don't know. I think that I spotted her earlier on. Once again, all the kids in this one are dressed super nineties. They they all look like they might have been extras in the the video for Steal My Sunshine. It's got it's got a real Dangerous Minds vibe going on. <laughs> it's a uh, nice pull. <laughs> But yeah, it's uh, so in this one, they are relocated. Some kids from Nebraska are adopted, much much the same way the second one starts off, actually. Um, Mm -hmm. They're adopted by a family that lives in the city, which is very confusingly like it's like a house. It's like the shot is like it has a city in the background, but it's like a different city. Like it looks like it's it's uh, matted in in front of the city. Yeah it's very odd looking like it doesn't look like it naturally would would be there uh but i think they're supposed to be in chicago is that right is that right i think they're supposed to be in chicago it was shot in la i know that huh. but i'm pretty sure they're supposed to be in chicago anyway basically the one of the kid the older brother there's an older brother and a younger brother the older brother yes. is kind of aged out of the corn this corn stuff it was a phase but the younger brother is still all up on the corn he who walks behind the rose, all that shit, loves it. And uh, gradually he starts to build a following in this urban environment in the city. And there's a, a, a bunch of corn growing in a warehouse nearby the, near their house, which is so it's kind of. And then the, the father of the family finds out that the corn is like super corn that can grow anywhere. Oh, yeah. This is the one with the whole like dismissal of capitalist ideas. <laughs> by the fact that the father who is i think it's explained early on that he's like an ad man uh, like corporate guy yeah i don't know yeah but then he discovers the this super demon infested corn and wants to sell it to everybody i it's never it very much seems like um <laughs> Uh, the whole running gag in Bojack Horseman with the <laughs> the kids standing in the in the the trench coat and like I have to go do business today. <laughs> I gotta That's, go do a business. <laughs> I've got to go do a business. But he somehow thinks that he can make money off of this um, hell corn, uh, <laughs> and there's multiple scenes of him like taking it to work and having mm-hmm. meetings with people. Uh, also, he eats it right off the cob, like fresh off of a, a stalk which is ridiculous yeah well <laughs> like no corn really tastes good in that state it's not meant to it's, it's kind of hard in your digestive system 
there's an interesting thread that is not explored, but they're, they have the setup for it. And this may have been where the idea started, but basically this is the setup here could have been an exploration of how capitalism, capitalism inevitably corrupts and commodifies religion and also how religious leaders can be complicit in that and frequently are, but they don't really do that. Um, No. And it's, it's brought up in the previous one about the fact that it has this poisoning to it that the adults are okay with it getting out because if they you know have to chunk their whole harvest away they'll the town is going to go under but that thread doesn't follow through here but mm-hmm. still the idea that they're going to sell the corn does and it's just kind of weird that uh they they take the same idea and run with it although it doesn't continue on from the previous one which means that actually most of these movies aren't sequels. <laughs> they well, they yeah. take the the same the idea of evil kids and corn. Like that's what most of them have in common. It's the the threads and also the the rules. Uh, which is this is where I really started to understand that there is no rules in the Children of the Corniverse. I, I think <laughs> I think that corn force can do anything that is needed pot convenience at any given time. The biggest selling point for this particular entry in the series Mm -hmm. is the special effects work, which was done by screaming mad George. Yes. Who is responsible for among other things, society. Um, which if you, if you haven't seen that film, it, uh, I don't know, Josh, did you see that? Uh, I don't think that I ever, I ever have seen society. I think they, they showed it at a bell court, like 12 hours of terror, I think. Cause that's where I saw it. Uh, it's, it's got some pretty crazy, like gory, uh, just very unusual things, things that you can't unsee, um, okay. that aren't conventionally cool. gory, but they're sort of, uh, phantasmagorical. I'm trying to think of the best way to describe probably the most famous one where, but I don't want to spoil society for you. So maybe you should just watch society. Uh, I, I think, think that I'm just going to watch society. I don't. think you should watch society, but this one features a, uh, a claymation miniature corn monster and also a scene where someone's spine is pulled out of their body and extended somehow like 20 to 30 feet in the air while the head atop the spine is still screaming in pain. It's, it's fantastic. I mean, it's not, it, it's good in a completely different way from yes. the first Children of the Corn movie. And it has absolutely nothing to do with Stephen King's short story other than, like you said, children and corn being involved. But it's 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 fun. It's it's weird. I also like the fact that the the older brother kind of gives up his religious leanings mm-hmm. and falls in with the cool kids at the school. And he is a, a teen. He's a teen boy. Mm-hmm. And the younger brother is a very much a preteen boy. Mm-hmm. Uh, but the younger brother through his preaching actually winds up converting all the cool kids to corninism or whatever <laughs> whatever you want to call their corn cult <laughs> and i don't know there's just this interesting take on like the cool kids and it's the first time that you have a whole bunch of like normal looking people mm-hmm. you know they're not trying to make them look amish or what have you they just show up uh and they're totally fine with you know murdering uh adults again 
which is kind of refreshing because we <laughs> we haven't seen a whole big group of people stand around while, while adults get killed for a while. <laughs> and for some reason, the corn seems to thrive on the uh, the bodies of the adults that have been killed within its pasture or what have you in the uh, in this abandoned warehouse. I also really enjoyed the the derelict warehouse slash train yard kind of looking thing. Mm-hmm. It actually reminded me of Candyman quite a bit. So this does have a lot in common with Candy. I mean, that setting and and the the uh, composition of its cast. And I think maybe if it was trying a little harder, it could have explored some themes that were similar to what yes. was explored in Candyman. But yeah, it doesn't. Uh, it kind of and it, it may have been. I mean, Candyman was also churning out sequels at the time. I think this came out either the same year or the year before Farewell to the Flesh. So I think it was probably an influence, I would imagine. Uh, Also, I I have to admit, I have seen, uh, I saw, there's only two Candyman sequels. Is that right? Uh, You mean there's like a two two and a three? I think that's it. Yeah. Okay. Um, So yeah, I saw both of those in the theater. Okay. Big fan. Big. Uh, you know what? <laughs> I'm I'm a candy fan of the candy man. <laughs> it, it's good. I mean, it's a, it's a good. The, the, yeah. I mean, hey, we're not here to talk about candy man, candy persons, but we. <laughs> well, no, no, we're at the other end of the spectrum with corn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh man, uh, what a great double feature! <laughs> candy man and children of the corn. You 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 have your your meal and then your dessert. It, well, it's candy corn. That's what I was what I'm getting at here. I don't get that. It's candy I corn. Get, I don't get that reference. Okay. Is that well, a thing? Let's talk about the next children of the corn. I don't know. Yeah. Is there anything you, you wanted to add about Urban Harvest before we move on? Because we're already threatening to run long because... Not really. Like you said, some of the kills are mm-hmm. pretty fun. Some of the death scenes. And it's much more kind of in that vein of uh, the movie doesn't take itself too seriously. It's kind of wacky and is one of those that you could just watch for the craziness and some of the gorier deaths. And that seems to be what it's going for. So I think it probably succeeds on that count. So going on to four children of the corn Four: the, the gathering, gathering. <laughs> from 1996 <laughs> directed by Greg Spence. This one, why don't you sum up the plot for us? Cause it's another one. I'm like, that's eh, your corn kids, whatever. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so the, the main character played by Naomi Watts. Mm-hmm. Yes that naomi watts wait post tank girl but pre everything else right just about yeah i, I believe so i for actually just remembered as when you brought her up that she was in tank girl and i was like i think that was 95 so well good good for her i don't uh, know i mean yeah this is a lateral move from tank girl but she's really good no this is not a lateral move i take it back no, tank, tank no, girl is no, better it, than this yeah it, it is a step down um <laughs> but she is returning home and I'm not sure that home is Gatlin. Mm-hmm. Uh, I, I don't quite uh, remember. I don't know if the movie ever like really posits it, but uh, the, she's a, a doctor in training mm-hmm. and she is going home for a break of some sort to, to help out with her, her family specifically, I believe her mother who was played by Karen black <laughs> of all people, um, which is pretty amazing. Yeah. Um, I mean, Karen Black is amazing. Uh, <laughs> and then the kids in the town start coming down with an illness and hijinks ensue. Basically, the illness is 
uh, children of the corninism. Yes. And it, it's curable uh, with mercury. I, I don't remember if it's mercury or mercurochrome. Uh, man, really? God, yeah, I, thought, I, I thought they like broke a thermometer or something. Or, yeah, it's like a kid broke a thermometer in his mouth and then like freaked out. Oh, okay. So that's why I was thinking. But and then they ran it on the villain at the end. I remember that. And I remember Naomi Watts is like really good in this. Like, yes, she's probably the best character we've had in a few films and most compelling lead. Oh, definitely. You know, I mean, it's not that I remember necessarily her predicament, especially well, but that's not her fault. She gives a really good performance. And uh, there's some really, I don't know, there's just some neat death scenes. It's kind of closer to like a typical slasher film. But to me, like throwing in all this, like you said, they catch a disease and they're trying to cure it and they find out that mercury cures it or kills them and gets rid of it or whatever they end up doing. Right. Exactly. It's just kind of a little, I don't know. Yeah. There's a couple interesting threads in this one that I really liked with like this, the milieu of uh, traveling preachers kind of comes into it with uh, this kid who's a bastard son of one of the townspeople and he's taken away by the traveling preachers. Um, I, I liked that whole idea. Um, like there's this weird kind of destiny because he's a super gifted preacher mm-hmm. and his uh, development is kind of frozen uh, because of his connection with the, the corn demon. Well, I don't know what have you, whatever you want to call it. He who walks behind the rose. Yes. But then also one of the other townspeople, I'm trying to remember his name. I believe Donald in the movie mm-hmm. played by uh, Brent Jennings and his son, his son is a hemophiliac and the kids, th- these kids cannot stop doing blood rituals. <laughs> they ke- they always are cutting themselves and spitting on their palms and whatnot. <laughs> and there's this cool double climax of Naomi Watts character, uh, grace. Mm-hmm. Uh, grace oh grace that's a <laughs> glenn gary glenn ross um <laughs> but this intercut between donald trying to save his son and grace trying to save her sister i don't know if it's secret daughter i don't know secret children enters into a couple of them um <laughs> but there's a whole sequence with donald getting his kid out of this cult and driving away as fast as he can in this truck and the kid is bleeding out and he has to stop and help the kid. And they're like descended upon by all these kids, mm-hmm. the the children of the corn, the titular corn children. <laughs> and they start like just smashing up his truck. And it's really, uh, one of the most intense parts of the movie. Like, you know, not from a while wow, that guy's head exploded kind of a, a way, but actually like, you know, had me invested in those characters a little bit. And I, I really uh, appreciated that. It was kind of surprising coming from, the the fourth film in a series <laughs> like this <laughs> yeah i don't i don't have much to add on this one this one was uh it's pretty good like i said some cool death scenes i don't know yeah like that i i do remember the hem- hemophiliac bit because the, he like cuts his hand in in one of their rituals and i was like no don't do that and then i was like right yeah like it it's good it's uh it's it's a, definitely a cut above some of the ones that are about to come 
Yes. Overall, um, I think I'd give it like a soft, like the softest of recommends along with the first three. Yeah, I, I think as we go on, the recommends are getting softer and softer. <laughs> Pretty much for the first four of them maybe five yeah well and this one especially like i was i spent more of the time watching it thinking about how it could function in relation to uh if naomi watts is actually her character from mulholland drive yeah <laughs> i started thinking about it that way and that kind of took me out of the movie which is my fault not so the wait, movies is she her character like is this a movie that her character is in or are these events that happen to her character? Cause either one could make sense. Right. Exactly. Like I, I'm not sure myself or, and I don't know if it would take place before Mulholland drive, if she's an actress in this movie uh-huh. and before Mulholland drive or if, but I think she's trying to, I don't think she's been in anything yet when she's in Mulholland drive as that character. I don't think she's acted in anything before. So I think maybe this is like afterwards. And then it's like, it's sort of like a, a appointed kind of like, this is where, you know, you came out here to act and, you, you know, went through all this stuff and then this is what you end up doing. <laughs> and it also, because there's the bit with like the two screaming parents that are running around at the end of Mulholland yes. Drive. And I was like, that's the parents in this. It's Karen Black and, and William Wyndham. <laughs> I really, I really went deep on it. And I was like, yeah, yeah, yeah really I, I should have just watched the movie a little more closely <laughs> and taken, taken better notes. I would totally recommend this one. I mean, if you like goofy horror movies this one like you said a, a pretty soft recommendation but it still falls into the acceptable category like i would put this one on again uh you know as background for board game night or something and you can kind of marvel over naomi watts and some of the kills it's uh, pretty decent in that way and once again nothing really to do with the short story nope not at all <laughs> uh moving on we've got children of the corn five Fields of Terror, from 1998, directed by Ethan Wiley, who also directed House 2, the second story. Oh, okay. Yeah, so I, I was, uh, I'm sure he did other stuff, but that's the only other one I know off the top of my head. This one is interesting because it, it much like, you, there's been sort of a pattern of like noteworthy actresses appearing in the films, like uh, Charlize Theron, Naomi Watts, and now we have Ava Mendes. Although they spell her name with a Z at the end. I don't know if she changed the spelling when she got to Hollywood, if that's how it's actually spelled, or if they just spelled it wrong in the credits. I didn't research it. It's funny to me. I don't know. (laughs) (laughs) I was looking for something to to, to laugh at, but it's also interesting because it's like 100% like late 90s, teens being shitty, (laughs) getting killed like horror movie uh this is another we're in the fully in the dimension era uh dimension films era now yeah uh, from which these films never escape uh and it's it, it does have some interesting stuff going on there's a lot of stuff outdoors which is a nice you know it's got some setting so it's, some things are the setting is somewhat interesting if i can put my words in order properly um yes uh i think you get more of a sense of uh place once again Mm-hmm. and there's some really good interesting shots in this one mm-hmm. uh, also i do like the fact that uh, we both included in our notes uh, that this movie you saw said that it was supremely 1990s and i said <laughs> that it was incredibly 90s <laughs> so <laughs> just for um uh, a taste of what you're gonna get but 
I did write down uh, like the opening shot. Uh, I don't know if you remember. It's the, a rose growing in a cornfield. Oh, and then yeah. a hand com- comes along and crushes it, which is it was really kind of cool. The whole opening scene, it was one of the kids like creeping around this fire that started in the middle of the cornfield and seems to be supernatural in origin. That was it was good. It was kind of hooky. Like mm-hmm. I hadn't really seen from the last couple. Wasn't the, hand- the rose thing kind of a dark tower thing? Yeah, it's, it feels that way. I mean, this would um, have been right after Wizard and Glass was published, I think, if I'm when this movie. Well, it would have come out, and I doubt he would have read Wizard and Glass. But anyway, yeah, it's sort of interesting. Yeah, this is like super '90s hipster doofuses. The uh, the kids, or not? They're not kids. They're uh, college students who wind up in Gatlin or what have you. Mm-hmm. Uh, Eva and her crew, if, if you will. <laughs> And even though they're mostly kind of not likable, Mm -hmm. you do get to spend some time with them and actually develop a little bit of feeling for who they are before the stuff starts, which happens less and less through these films. That's true. Especially the next couple. It's just like, no, no, you're you're practically dropped in as the, the people arrive at the weird shit factory. But this one, let's see. Yeah, I mean, I noticed the cinematography a lot in this one. It felt like they were trying stuff with the camera. Mm-hmm. Um, there's some really cool shots of the cars uh, as these as the teens are headed to Children of the Cornland, and like kind of really dynamic music video uh, type shots, like '90s shots. Mm-hmm. So many Dutch angles. So every, <laughs> like, uh, I don't know if they just didn't have a level and they went with it, <laughs> or uh, if that was part of the the plan from the beginning, but it did give it like a distinct feel. It totally doesn't connect to any of the other films so far, but it had, it felt like it had a voice that was uh, a little bit more than just someone, you know, clocking in and clocking out, uh, shooting this thing. Well, and it also like, yeah, it opens with, uh, well, when we first meet the, the main teens that we're going to be following, uh, throughout the movie there, we meet Ahmed Zappa, uh-huh. And his girlfriend are driving, and he's tying blow-up dolls. He's blowing them up in the conver- in the convertible they're in, and then he's uh, taping them to different objects of interest on the route to like point the direction toward that the people that are following him, which is yes. Ava Mendes and everyone else, uh, including our lead, who is not Ava Mendes, who's uh, uh, what was her character's name? Anyway, we'll get that eventually. But she, <laughs> it's just sort of a neat, like weird opening uh that is never really brought up again they're just like hey you know like i I believe at one point when they drive he stops and ties one on at a gas pump and then they get killed and not only do they get killed but also the blow-up dog gets taken down off the gas pump by the by the corn kids because i guess i don't know i i think there's probably some like what are they going to do with the blow-up doll are they going to hack it to bits i don't know right i was just like Oh, I was like, why introduce that and then not really do anything with it? But I guess it, it it's whatever. It's a, Ahmed Zappa probably showed oh. up with those on the day of shooting. <laughs> I was like, let's just do it. It's, I did. I appreciated the cast in this one overall. Mm-hmm. It, I mean, apart from Ahmed Zappa and Eva Mendez, you have also have Alexis Arquette, mm-hmm. uh, David Carradine, Kane Hodder, Fred Williamson. It's like, it's it's an interesting cast to put all these people in the same movie, mm-hmm. but also I'm at Zappa. Like 
it, he looks like okay so previously we had the extras for, from a len video uh <laughs> he he looks like he could be um one of the guys that's not the front man in smash mouth in this film <laughs> uh and he acts accordingly he's super obnoxious but nothing nothing is compared to what we're going to get in the future uh <laughs> with the rest of these films but uh everyone the they feel annoying, but kind of in a nineties cool way. And I don't know. I just had this, this thought. I wonder if people who didn't live through this era, and this is very firmly, like I was the age that these people are supposed to be mm-hmm. when, as this movie came out. And there's something about like uh, seeing a film from that time period. I wonder if it's more painful to me than it would be to someone who didn't live through it, who was purely viewing it as a nostalgia piece from before when they were born or even slightly older and they'd be like, yeah, yeah, that's what idiot college kids look like then Mm -hmm. because like no one really wants to admit that they were wearing big print Hawaiian shirts uh, and listening to like terrible uh, third wave ska or whatever it was and swing bands and just had like really deplorable goatees. But yeah, I, I had cargo pants and rollerbladed all the time that year so i probably would have fit right in <laughs> with this cast uh with the characters not even the cast the characters in the movie never had a blow up doll though so yeah yeah uh this is certainly the children of the court entry least distinguishable from a squirrel nut zippers music video <laughs> so that's cool yeah once again you you kind of get back to evil children in this one a little bit which i enjoyed I didn't really follow the plot though. And I don't know if that's my fault or the plots by the end. I think so. It seems like the, the evil kids led by Ezekiel played by Adam Wiley, who was also in the Disney channel original movie under wraps, which came out the year before this, which I loved or the same year. I can't remember if it was 97, 98, but I watched the shit out of that. Uh, I still think, I mean, just through the sheer force of most mummy movies aren't very good. It's one of the better mummy movies that there is. Um, it's just a fun little movie. And there's a joke in that movie where they're like, we have to go see like some movie number 23 or something like a horror movie, uh, right. like Carver or something. Uh, and they're like, we're going to go see this. And uh, it's funny to me that he showed up like either the same year or the next year in Children of the Corn 5, which was being made fun of in that movie. But anyway, uh, I think the plot, yeah, the plot kind of threw me because it seems like the kids are sort of enthralled to David Carradine's character at one point. Like he sort of rules over them. Yeah. But he's also possessed by one of them or by the corn demon or something. Right. Which is later revealed. Cause he's, it turns out he's been dead. Right. And he's, and he's possessed by like which, Isaac was in the first one. Yes. Uh, I, I have to say even if you can just find the scene online where his head splits open and <laughs> flames shoot out of it. That's amazing. Like that one's, that's pretty fantastic. Well, and that reminds me of one of the cool concepts that's in this movie that they don't, they, they, it comes into play in the, in the climax, but I feel like you could have done a lot more with it. There's a, a corn silo that's always burning. Yes. <laughs> I really like that idea. I mean, it's sort of like the town in uh, Pennsylvania. Yeah. Centralia. Yeah. It's like that where there's, there's always a fire underground, you know, I kind of like that idea and it, it adds a, um, a certain like overpowering like uh, sinister atmosphere uh, to everything if there's just like there's just something's always on fire here so it's probably you know it's not all everything's not above board here um, 
I don't know. There's there's some cool some cool moments. There's like a sequel tease at the end that isn't really followed up on. Right. And it's it's pretty solid. It's entertaining. It's on I would say it's on par with number 4 for me. Yeah, the so far, I don't feel bad about any of my iTunes purchases. I feel like all of these, you know, I might put on at some point in time. There is a, a note that I made even Mendez's character is apparently getting over the death of her boyfriend, mm-hmm. uh, which is, I don't know, it treated as very heavy and then like very light and comedic mm-hmm. uh, given the scene. But I liked the fact that, I don't know, she's kind of this empowered woman. Uh, she sleeps with one of the other guys, one of the other rascally teens. Mm-hmm. And then afterwards he's like, you know, this wasn't just a one night stand for me. And she's like, it was for me. <laughs> and I, I kind of loved that note. Um, I expected it to be a little more retrograde with regards to that kind of thing. Uh, but I liked the fact that she was like, no, I'm, I'm in control and I needed uh, comfort and um, didn't want to feel scared last night. So we're done. I thought that was pretty great. And then she gets killed. And then she gets killed. Uh, there was also another scene where she starts flirting with one of the, the corn boys mm-hmm. who seems fairly normal uh, when she first meets him. And then she just kind of crumbles and starts crying. And I was like, what an interesting thing to actually happen in the middle of this movie. Yeah. It, you know, it caught me by surprise a little bit. I don't know. They tried to get some emotion in there. Um, so I don't know. Once again, a soft, soft recommend <laughs> from me. Ladies so, and gentlemen, the time has come. <laughs> Oh boy. Hua. Mm. Children of the Corn 666. That means it's the 6th movie. It's not the 666th despite feeling like it is by the time you get to the end of it. Uh Children of the Corn 666 Isaac's Return from 1999 directed by Carrie Scogland, Kari Scogland. I'm leaning towards Kari, but I just want to throw this out there. I, I want to introduce this properly. 1999 Golden year for film. Okay. So okay. many great films released in 1999. The Matrix, The Iron Giant, Toy Story 2, The Green Mile. I like The Green Mile. Some people don't like it. I don't know. I probably would have named some other movies before The Green Mile if I had a list in front of me. Sixth Sense. <laughs> uh, very good, very good year for movies. This one, not not one of those. Oh. Yeah. The actor who played Isaac in the first film. Uh, returns he's been in a coma and he comes out of the coma in in, and, the, in the movie <laughs> yep that's uh <laughs> yeah that is the movie um this one and following movie are art directed with all of the subtlety of your local haunted house at halloween uh, there, there is, there's, uh, oh, you return to this hospital, uh, over and over again, which is, seems like it's supposed to be 90% actual hospital and 10%, um, weird lab where they keep, uh, Isaac in his, uh, comatose mm-hmm. state, but the actual hospital part, like there's no one at the, the check-in desk and there's a weird, creepy doll like sitting beside the desk. I don't know. It, it has this whole, uh, like asylum 
kind of feel to it. Not the asylum movies, but um, like they're they're trying to use an asylum uh, setting to be spooky and edgy, and it just does not work. At least for me, it it missed by a wide wide margin, uh, and I don't know. It was hard to get in to the movie even from that point. And this one, I had to watch most of it twice because I had no idea what was going on. <laughs> it was just like, it really was like Isaac comes out of the coma and there's a woman finding her mom. And it, I, mean, I don't, uh, yeah, <laughs> I, I, could, I couldn't tell you what, cause you mentioned that you said that uh, Stacy Keach died way too easily. And I was like, I don't even remember that happening. I'm sure it yeah. does. But yeah, I should have watched it a second time myself. I do remember Nancy Allen. She plays, she's the mother, right? Like the girl finds her mother and it's Nancy Allen. Is that right? Or did I? Yeah, no, yeah. It, it is. Okay. Well, yeah, there's that. And, but she's like, uh, but her, Nancy Allen tried to send her away, but so that she wouldn't join the corn kids. Right. Yeah. And okay. that's, uh, that's, that's how I described the plots. Like I have to ask the other person who saw it, this happened, right? <laughs> and it's, weird because it's one of these where the movie is kind of so obvious and ham-handed about these things from the beginning that I didn't think that it was supposed to be a twist. And I don't know the movie treats it as if it is later in the film, but there's only like four people in the whole movie. It, it four adults in the whole movie. It's really weird. And, um, I don't know. I, I don't want to just crap on the film, but I, I wouldn't recommend it. Um, yeah, this is the, the first no recommendation whatsoever. Some good notes. There's a, a little kid who keeps popping up as our main character searches the town for her mother. Mm-hmm. And that little kid is pretty creepy. They do a good job <laughs> in mm-hmm. making him just seem... Uh, he's really smiley, and that's what makes <laughs> him creepy. And I like that. Also, there's a, an X-Files connection here with the fact that uh, one of the characters smokes morally cigarettes which I don't know if it's an actual X-Files connection or if it's just, if they're just making a shout out. I don't know. It would have been the, the peak of right after the X-Files movie. Yeah. Yeah. I could see that. Yeah. I, I felt the, the mental hospital asylum type stuff was just really cheap and it did. It felt like, uh, trying to, uh, get scares or create atmosphere out of like, uh, kind of the, the laziest method possible. Uh, but then again, upside, I guess I'm doing shit sandwich here. Uh, upside, uh, the kid who plays Isaac, mm-hmm. super creepy. And I felt like he kind of outacted everybody. Uh, cause he still seems like Isaac. Like he seems really intense and weird. And he looks a little bit like Ben Savage, but apart from that, <laughs> he seems really intense and creepy and weird. I, I liked that part of it. Nobody's given enough to do. Nancy Allen's not. Stacey Keach isn't. Ugh. Yeah. And there's a there's a sort of a neat little idea here where they basically the whole film exists like oh Isaac's coming back like he's the main bad guy and it, they kind of they pivot a little bit so that it turns out that the main bad guy is actually the love interest. Yes. That's kind of a nice you know sort of last minute pivot and it, it works okay it works fairly well um, I think. It's just aesthetically, like you said, it's art directed to within an inch of an inch of its life. I think just aesthetically, it's like it's all shot indoors. I don't know what I mean. 
it's like yeah. hospital barn stable you know but it's never you don't i don't know it's it seems like they hacked the budget to shreds and had to shoot it on sets and and inside you know rented out locations it's it doesn't have a ton of production value and it certainly doesn't have the production value i i, I foolishly maybe expected it to have based around <laughs> it being one that i'd heard of a, a long time ago when it came out you know it doesn't rise to the production value of the previous entries in the children of the corn series right which is is kind of you know i don't i, I don't know uh, it, it's I don't really have much more to add beyond that. Uh, I, I would not recommend it. Uh, I, this is the first film where I started to question what we what we were doing, the merit of what we're doing. Not not just in terms of watching this series, but in terms of just being alive and breathing air. No, it's not that bad. It's 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 just no. it's dull, and and sometimes dull can be really hard to 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 take. With the next couple that we watched, I looked back on the days of Isaac's return, the glorious halcyon days of Isaac's return, with with a kind of bittersweet nostalgia. Uh, because from there, we moved on to the first, I guess, non-numbered entry, which was Children of the Corn, Revelation, from 2001, uh, directed by Guy Magar. I like to say Guy Magar. Just Guy Magar. <laughs> Yeah, um, you, you you think it's gonna be somebody else? <laughs> yeah. Well, this one, um, I think I can sum up everything that was a problem with this one by describing a sequence where uh, there's a woman is being drowned by corn, sentient corn, okay. in yep. in, mm-hmm. in her in her tub, uh, while her wheelchair bound neighbor uh, who hears her screaming uh, starts banging a shoe on the wall and calling her a fucking whore telling her to shut the fuck up you fucking whore i was like why 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 is this like is it supposed to be any like it, i don't know if it's supposed to be ironic or like sort of like it's it's like a wink wink nudge nudge like isn't it funny he doesn't know she's dying it's like no he why is he calling her a whore <laughs> why, like i know like she's her character's a stripper but why is it a big deal that this guy thinks she's a whore and he's super pious about it like i don't know and then like the the villains who are supposed to be pious in this are, are children who worship corn, you know not not this neighbor anyway. It doesn't. It right. also doesn't serve the purpose of making us cheer his later on screen death, either, because the children of the corn in this are ghosts. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Like this was the first one that completely like didn't make any sense to me. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean. I know I've said some of the other ones that plots kind of didn't, but at the time you kind of nod and go along this one from the jump just does not make any sense. A woman has come to town to see what's going on with her grandmother who recently sold her nice house and moved into this condo. That was 30 seconds from being torn down. Mm -hmm. According to the movie. Once again, we meet this character as she's getting out of the cab at this weird condo. Um, we have no story. We don't know her at all. So it's really hard to care about what she's about to go through. Mm-hmm. And it seems like they just can't wait to get to the interior, which every single bit of this place just looks like, I don't know. It looks like they tried way too hard <laughs> to make it spooky. And therefore it just ends up looking silly. The the editing uh, just, it, it doesn't make sense. And believe me, I've, you know, I've made low budget horror films um, and I've struggled with a lot of these things, but it is 
so dodgy. Like I have a hard time following what's happening in a sequence, like who is where necessarily. Mm-hmm. And especially with regards to what this condo even is, it seems to be kind of a, this haunted house film and the children of the corn are the ghosts, but the condo is in a cornfield also next to a railroad track. Also it's right next to a city. Um, which doesn't make any sense. And there's a, a corner store or a convenience store that's within walking distance that you never actually see the relationship between the buildings. It just, I don't know, nothing fits together. It, it kind of feels like if you watched a regular movie while you were really drunk or had a high fever, uh, <laughs> and you could only remember bits and pieces, but that's all they give you in this one is the bits and pieces. Well, and you, you, you said it seemed like they couldn't wait to get inside the building. And I think that's certainly true of the sound department because uh, uh-huh, uh-huh. I uh, found that this director, uh, Guy Magar, uh, wrote an autobiography uh, called uh, Kiss Me Quick Before I Shoot, which is the title of it. Yeah. Oh, okay. uh, and um, it has a, a cover quote from Joe Alves, production designer for Jaws and Close Encounters, who would later direct Jaws 3D. Yeah. Kind of a good pull. Uh so anyway, I picked up the book and I haven't read the entire thing. Uh, I, I I would say yet. I think I will read it. It does seem interesting, but um, he has a, a long career where he worked in TV. He did episodes of the original Battlestar Galactica. He did episodes of the A-Team. Um, and he did a few other movies before this. And he was really excited that they found an exterior for the apartment building that was right next to a working railroad track, oh. which I can only, I mean, yeah, if you've ever like, yeah, the sound department's not going to love that. I mean, you work around. Yeah. That's the director has final say you have to do what he wants. If, if the location is good, you can air your grievance. Like, yeah, I'm the, I'm the sound department. This sucks. And it was probably right. not too terrible. All the interiors were shot on sound stages. It was only the exteriors that were like that, but there are quite a few exteriors and, I don't know. It just seems like in, emblematic of the entire wrong-headed approach to the whole thing. I don't just want to shit on the movie, but I'm I'm left with little other choice for this one. It's just really, really weird. Like the the book doesn't mention anything about this, but it does seem to me like a script that was bought and was Frankensteined into a Children of the Corn movie. I know they did yes. that with the Hellraiser series, and I wouldn't have it wouldn't surprise me if that was the case here. So there's uh i don't know I, I can't recommend it it did have one really really funny moment unintentionally funny moment where they there's this um sort of stock sound cue like suspense like uh it's used on like it's like dun, dun, dun. like it's sort of like it's used on sitcoms as like a joke now yes and they use it in this movie <laughs> seriously as a like a serious thing and i'm like it, it it almost seems like it was ta- it was just edited by some intern for for a project, and right. they just threw in. And they weren't a good intern; they were a bad intern, <laughs> and they didn't do a very good job. <laughs> it's it, it's I can't recommend this for anyone. I, I I think it's terrible. I actually it's it it goes a level beyond just being bad to being kind of hate like it seems almost hateful, like it's very <sighs> mean. <laughs> like it's a yes. weird mean movie. The, um, uh, a lot of the characters, like they show up just in time to be killed. Mm-hmm. The wheelchair man, he's pounding on the wall. It, I, I'm pretty sure like he shows up, pounds on the wall. And then next time you see him, the kids are pushing him down the stairs. And this is like in the middle of the movie. It's not like an early kill or anything. Mm-hmm. Like, 
as far as a children of the corn movie, they get further and further from um, kind of the, the thing that drove the original story, which is the, the corrupting influences of religion and trusting those in power too much. Yeah. Yeah, This is about, what is this about? (laughs) This, this has like none of that. It seems like it's, I don't, I don't know any of the characters, so it doesn't work on that level. Um, like none of the deaths carried any weight. Uh, and they're also not very creative. Um, so they, they lack on kind of the, the goofy fun scale and they lack on like hitting me, you know, where I live scale. You know, actually, I wrote down, did I have a blackout? I don't know any of these people. (laughs) (laughs) They just show up and then die. Yeah. I I don't know how I was supposed to feel about um, any of them. There's a weird character who's got a lair in the basement where he, it's a hydroponics farm where he grows tomatoes. It doesn't make any sense. The the kids take it over to grow corn. uh, Hey, that part makes sense. There's a cornfield outside. There's a cornfield already outside. And I don't know why. (laughs) They're ghost children. Um the the one thing that i did like was um this the crazy paranoid character he has these night vision goggles which i don't know why he can see the kids with the night vision goggles that makes no sense (laughs) it's never like they don't give any attempts to explain it but they did do kind of a cool shot where when he gets attacked his goggles fall off Mm -hmm. and in one uh you see through the goggles and also the wider wider frame in the same shot Mm-hmm. And in the wider frame, it just looks like his body being dragged off. And in the night vision goggles, you see the kids dragging the body. So I thought that one was kind of cool, mm-hmm. but the character made no sense. None of the characters make any sense. They seem to come from like a comic book in a really, in a bad cheap kind of way. Mm-hmm. And I did, I felt like this movie didn't like me for <laughs> people in general. But then in oh. 2009, Sci-fi, oh Sci-Fi Channel, uh, having rebranded to Sifi, they, they decided to, to, to readapt the short story as Children of the Corn. It was slightly more faithful, at least in terms of the ultimate conclusion, to the original uh-huh. source material. It was directed by Donald P. Borchers, who I believe was a producer on the first one, maybe? Oh, is that right? I think, yeah. Maybe? He had asked uh, Stephen King if he would be involved with this one, and Stephen King was like, no. No, no, we we don't need any of that. Yeah, he produced the the first one, and I I would assume this that he's probably the guy who's just held onto the rights forever, the main guy anyway. And yeah, he he decided to, to make a TV movie. Uh, I think it uh, given where it ends up, I think it was almost intended to function as a sort of backdoor pilot, something they don't really they don't do a ton of anymore. I think You're right, at right. least not on purpose. Yeah, and it's uh, first of all, it's set in uh, 1975 which you could be forgiven for, for, for not knowing right off the bat because it doesn't look like it very much. No, it, it takes <laughs> uh, the characters announcing things like that repeatedly mm-hmm. for it to really make sense, and it still doesn't really make sense. I do think that Donald P. Borchers had at least a good intention going in here. Based on the... I, the, the, I had read this somewhere that Stephen King wrote a draft of the original film, that the first 35 pages were just a couple arguing in the car. And so they threw it out. Yes. And so, which makes sense because it's sort of how the story is set up. It's the couple arguing until, you know, a lot of things escalate very quickly after that. And this is just, it's very similarly. It's, it's a disproportionate amount 
of the beginning focuses on the couple arguing and they are awful people they're just terrible people why don't, why don't, yeah my my gripe about you know these past few movies has been you don't spend any time with the people beforehand mm-hmm. this one we spend a lot of time with them and they are horrible the wife played by what's her name candace candace mcclure mcclure i feel like everyone does a pretty good job with what they're given nobody's really weak which is kind of the upsetting part i think (laughs) um but uh she is constantly harping on her husband played by some guy david anders i believe yes david anders david anders Mm -hmm. i've got the page up Okay, so I'm reading it from by, Wikipedia, which is always right about everything. Played by David Anders, who, in my brain, he's just not Ethan Embry, because he kind of has an Ethan Embry vibe about him. Mm-hmm. The whole beginning and the recurring thing through the film is Vicky. That's the character's name, right? Yes, Vicky. Burton Vicky. The, the, Burton Vicky. The wife is just railing on the husband for being a soldier yeah she is mocking him she's calling him a baby killer um and like unleashing a whole slew of um racial epithets <laughs> about uh vietnamese people which mm-hmm. is terrible like we have no sense of why these people are together at all nope or who they are other than this one defining characteristic of both of them which is that she is a horrible shrew person Mm-hmm. And he just kind of uh, shrugs until pushed to a point and then yells at her and then shrugs some more. That's that's their entire relationship that we're shown. Um, there's a whole bunch of different ways that you could have made them more interesting and I think therefore made the movie better. Mm-hmm. But this movie, like it's hateful, it's mean and not in a um, I recently rewatched all of the the Halloween films. Mm-hmm. And the Rob Zombie, the first Halloween film that he did, kind of touches on that same nerve for me. Like, it's mean and gross, and the characters are just, you don't want to spend time with them. But I feel like in that movie, he's doing it for a reason, and he knows the reason he's doing it. And it gets to a point where that kind of breaks. It reaches a culmination, and then it breaks. Mm-hmm. And then you get more in-depth stuff later, and it really kind of drives the narrative. Here, there's never a point where it comes to a head. It's just literally her yelling at him about that he's a terrible person and he sliced up women in Vietnam. I don't know. It was, I, I, I wanted to turn it off the whole time. Just to be clear, none of the Vietnam stuff is in the original short story. No, it's all no. it's all new. Uh, I don't know why. Um, and yeah, it's it's hard to it's hard to tolerate. It's interesting you mentioned Rob Zombie. I actually uh, I I stopped short of comparing it to his stuff because, like you said, his stuff ultimately does go somewhere. It ultimately does like reach a culmination point. Um, this reminded me a lot of the Platinum Dunes remakes that were coming out at the time, uh, specifically yes. the Texas Chainsaw Massacre remake and the Friday the Thirteenth remake. Now, the Friday the Thirteenth remake, if it was just the first like ten minutes, it would be perfect. Right. But the fact that it goes on again, and then it gives you these characters that are all just kind of hateful. Like they're not nice people, even our our, our supposed protagonist in that. And I mentioned I, I I'm focusing on that more than Texas Chainsaw because it's been so long since I saw and hated the Texas Chainsaw remake that I want to yeah. I want to stick to this one because it's fr- fresh from my memory. But it reminded me a lot of that kind of tone, uh, and I feel like maybe 
this was trying to emulate that a little bit because those films were for better or worse for worse i guess in this case successful uh and they took the wrong lessons about what made them successful what made them successful was they were based on pre-existing property <laughs> what is, they, right. they, they were never very critically well received and while the friday the 13th remake is league leaps and bounds better than the texas chance remake it still has the same core issue with regards to the characterizations of its of the people in it uh, they're just very they snipe and and it's supposed to be like i i don't i don't know what the idea of it is it's like if you put people in a room and have them talking and fabricate drama by having them not get along it, it that's not really the, what you that's not why you're unless there's a reason to do it don't do it like there's people are supposed to be friends and we have to see them be friends first right before we see them ever disagree and this is a case where we see them only disagree and it sucks and after a certain point Bert ends up on his own and it was like merciful <laughs> like thank god yeah. he's not being screamed at and he's not bitching back at this woman it was just so nice to have him be on his own for a minute and then they double down on the Vietnam stuff and he's in a cornfield and he's hallucinating Vietnam soldiers you know Vietnamese soldiers like and he's like hiding from them and it's just it was re- it was just bad and then that, that mercifully also the book uh, the short story ending is is retained here where both characters die horrible <laughs> crucifixion deaths because it was it was hard to watch like you're rooting for the kids the kids aren't especially well portrayed either but you're no. rooting for them by default because you just don't want these people to be around anymore it's kind of like texas chainsaw if every character was franklin yeah. right like <laughs> every character is the the annoying asshole character like i don't i don't know how you make a horror movie where where the character you don't like what if you enjoy horror if you if you watch horror movies because you like seeing the people get killed i don't understand you and if you make a horror movie because you like horror movies where you root for the people to die i don't get it like i get wanting to see a cool death scene but i don't get wanting the characters to be dead because they're bad and annoying and i feel like that's a misunderstanding upon which this kind of thing proliferates uh that's why like the the compilation uh dvds of just all the kill scenes from from movies you Mm -hmm. know that's why they exist um i understand if the characters are totally shallow and just exist to be killed uh in a cool way like that's that's one thing um you know i even i kind of understand like the whole movie is built around uh something like hatchet right like that series is primarily like hey what can we get this giant guy to do to these these poor uh people yeah and it's it's built to showcase the special effects basically and i think it it it's fine this movie seems to want to try to get across a message or try to take itself seriously um also you don't get cool death scenes right the the people you only want them to die not to see cool stuff but because they're they're terrible horrible human beings um and i thought it really could have been interesting if after they they kill the wife if bert really is relieved you know what i mean like if they had played it that he's like oh thank god that would have been interesting like Oh no, we understand. Um, mm-hmm. it, it actually made me think of the, uh, the, the twilight zone, you know, time enough at last, mm-hmm. uh, where all his wife is, is a shrew. Everyone just beats up on this poor guy. 
And then you're kind of thrown this curveball because mm-hmm. when everybody else dies, he's like, oh, thank God. And that's why you don't feel as bad when his glasses break at the end, right? right. Like, it's a little bit like, dude, you're, you are a selfish asshole. You're, you're kind of just as bad as everybody else. You wished everyone else away. I was like, that would be interesting. But instead, as soon as the wife dies, he's like, well, what did you do to my wife? What, Dude, you guys have been fighting for the first uh, 63 minutes of this film. Yeah, it's like it's not it's like only I get to kill my wife. Exactly. <laughs> exactly. And and before I forget, um, because I want and I wanted to shout out this podcast earlier and I completely forgot the Consequence of Sound podcast, The Losers Club. OK, uh, they've been around since I think the beginning of this year, the end of last year. Um, and they've been, they're going through all of Stephen King's stuff. They're reading all the books. They're talking about all the adaptations. They actually talked about this and the original children of the corn movie, just those two. Cause they're smart. They didn't do all of them. Um, and also cause the podcast was already three hours. They're talking about all the adaptations of every night shift property anyway. So they had okay. a lot to talk about too, in a different way. Um, yeah. During the discussion of children of the corn adaptations, they reminded me of the, uh, scene where there's a, uh, a sex scene, <laughs> And there's probably only in the unrated <sighs> cut, not the version that aired on TV, where yeah. the, all the children, all the corn kids are standing around as two kids who presumably are, are 17 or 18 um, in the movie are, are just fucking on the altar. They're just getting getting down in front of all this room full of kids. And it's just kind of like, I get, you know, it, it's, you know, I don't think, I think you can go places like that in horror, but maybe not if in this, maybe not if you're, Maybe this person shouldn't. <laughs> Maybe the people who made this should not go there. <laughs> yeah, I, I feel like that is the one of the two things that stuck out or stuck with me from my first time that I watched this. Mm-hmm. Um, the other was the fact that uh, the the couple is terrible, and I remember it being feeling icky, mm-hmm. uh, and it felt no less icky this time, perhaps even more so. Um, it's there's not a whole lot of sex scenes in this series, but it is by far the grossest mm-hmm. it, it bothered me more even than the, the the kind of rapey scene in the the what was it the previous film or two previous that occurs this one like it managed to capture all the magic of uh that horrible rapiness along with a room full of children watching it <laughs> which to be fair i mean obviously they're filming the children separate from this when they actually filmed it so they're not really there but right i mean if i'm a kid and i'm in a movie I want my parents to let me watch the movie. I don't know. I mean, there's yeah. worse examples. I'm sure of kids in worse movies or more violent movies that whatever, but it's, it, it's icky as fuck. It's weird. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's gross. I don't like it at all. It's not in the short story. And, uh, I, I guess I understand in theory why, uh, it would need to, I mean, they would need to have some way of reproducing if they kill everyone after they're a certain age anyway. I mean, I guess yeah, if you really want to follow that train of thought, you can go there, but, Again, you have to it earn the right to go there. <laughs> this movie did not. It doesn't need to be there. But we're we're nearly at the end of the road. Uh, which, okay, and a, a road which never ends, really, because Children of the Corn Genesis, 2011, directed by Joel Soisson. 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 I think it's pronounced Soisson. Soisson. So, uh, it, it seems like a French word meaning a little bit. Um, could I have a Swisson of, uh, uh, I don't know. Uh, of of that, Joel. Uh, yeah. Of, uh, this is a movie. Uh, <laughs> 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 Honestly, it, it's an improvement on the two before, I think. I think it's a pretty clear improvement. 
Um, Once again, I th- we could agree that it's not a Children of the Corn movie, though. Yeah, um, but yeah, I, I don't know where this started as a script, as a premise, as whatever. Basically, a couple's car is, I think, broken down from the time we meet them in frame one. Uh, actually, no, we don't start there. We start in the past. Yeah, we start with seemingly a way that they're trying to tie in all the Vietnam stuff of the previous, the, the of the remake. Yeah, I, th- I, I had assumed, I guess, and even now I was still thinking it was a sequel to, or loosely a sequel to Revelation, but it could also serve as a more direct sequel to the remake, and it, it really doesn't matter. It, it's also its own thing. I yes, guess. it's it's mostly its own thing. But the Vietnam stuff yeah. does speak to the remake, which I hadn't thought of. Um. But the, the, the opening scene mm-hmm. was decent um, and felt very Children of the Corny. I, it's actually an idea that I think is kind of uniquely terrifying. And it's something that I've actually had a similar thing and there's a similar setup in something I've been working on for a while off and on. Mm-hmm. Like a soldier comes home from war and finds his family killed. Uh, I think that's kind of terrifying. And I think, yeah, it, it's interesting. And then, you know, they, they don't really don't really do much after that with this no they they definitely don't especially because i don't i think what i had assumed was that the character played by billy drago yes the person from the opening but i don't think they ever say that whoa wait (laughs) i hadn't thought about that at all and i really like that take well that's just what i assumed because it's the only thing (laughs) It's the only reason that it would that the that thing would be there and that they would tie together. Right, but I don't think they yeah. ever they ever even bring that up. Um Oh man. Right? Okay. Yeah. No, I don't I don't think so, but I hadn't thought about that. It it kind of to me served as here we're we're tying in the last one and kind of making a nod to um both the 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 feel and kind of what you're used to or should be used to from a Children of the Corn movie. Mm-hmm. Um and then I think we pretty much get like what maybe a credits and then uh, the young couple that we follow throughout this particular adventure mm-hmm. sitting back to back, passing a, a bottle of Perrier or something back and forth as their drive across Nebraska has been interrupted uh, when their car broke down. Yeah. If there's one consistent uh, thing through through at least most of the movies, it's uh, just don't uh, don't uh, drive cross country. Or at least yeah, don't, don't don't go through Nebraska, I guess. Stay home. Yeah. That's, um, that's the message. But so this this one, I actually thought it got off to a decent start because I like the like the actors playing the couple I thought were pretty good. Yeah. And uh, the guy, um, let's see, Tim Rock. Mm-hmm. I liked him. He had a very relatable. I know in the the extras, um, the interview with with Joel, the director, he talks about the fact that they're the the couple is very relatable mm-hmm. uh and i don't know he had a look of he looked like other people and i liked that <laughs> <laughs> it, it, he seemed friendly i don't know he's like a nice guy no I just, I, he, he looked like other people i like when people look like other people <laughs> basically it's true I, no, was, yeah. I was ready for uh to like anybody after um after the previous one considering that they're so hate, hateful and uh yeah i mean you you get uh the movie that follows is they go to the shack and the guy is uh played by a uh, character actor uh a longtime actor uh billy drago 
mm-hmm. um, and he is, you know, a little shady. Um, and then he has like a mail order bride uh, that yes. lives with him. And it turns out uh, later on that she was already pregnant and she wanted to come to the U.S. and so that her kid could be a citizen here. Uh, like, in uh, what is derogatory, derogatorily? I don't uh-huh. know, dismissively referred to as an anchor baby, I guess. Sort um, of. And it's, yeah, but. Yeah. It's not really okay. relevant, though, to the plot. So, is well, it? it totally is, though. Let's uh, well, yeah. back up a second, though, in the Allie and Tim. Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, Tim Rockstar says Tim. Uh, their, their car is broken down. Uh, they can't find anything, any kind of shelter. They can't find anybody to talk to or call from except for this the creepy shack billy mm-hmm. your, your good friend character actor billy uh <laughs> never gets a name i don't think they just call him preacher yeah. or the preacher the whole time yep which um i i liked the fact that this movie kind of i, I feel like the director was playing with more ideas his his reach exceeded his grasp i could see that with this movie and i felt like he, he's almost trying to do this like iconographic sort of thing where no, he doesn't have a name. He's just the preacher. And I like that. It was, it was fun in kind of keeping in almost the, uh, the EC comics sort of vibe of a lot of Stephen King stuff, even though this, the story that we follow here is super, not at all, uh, the children of the corn story. Well, I, I, I think it's funny that they, in the mm-hmm. Wikipedia plot summary, and I, I believe this is even in the, on the back of the Blu-ray case, they insist on referring to the preacher as a strange Charles Manson like character, which I don't get from the film at all. <laughs> uh, no. And that's a little bit of a, um, <clears throat> a spoiler actually for how he turns out, because part of the interesting thing in this movie, I thought was we actually get different conflicting accounts of even um, Helen slash Oksana's uh, journey to America mm-hmm. uh, or like her reason for being here mm-hmm. from the preacher and from Oksana. Like she says that she was already pregnant, I think. And then, or no, she, she tells the Tim that uh, no, that was my baby mm-hmm. or that was his baby. That's a preacher's baby. And I was trying to protect the world from mm-hmm. that baby. And the preacher says, no, she was already pregnant and she just used me. Right. Like everyone kind of, you don't know who to trust, um, which the answer is nobody. You shouldn't trust any of these people <laughs> It <laughs> is the lesson of it, I think. Um, but basically it's kind of a bottle movie. Once you get inside the shack, the couple has to stay there overnight to wait for help. There's no triple a around the corner to come help them mm-hmm. it's going to take at least a day to get any sort of assistance and they wind up eating dinner and staying over with the uh, the creepy couple yeah and uh the, that have a, a cre- mm. creepy kid in the barn as you do as you do um who also has telekinesis um but for most of the movie you're not quite sure where the telekinesis comes from where this power is happening from right but well yeah and that's I, I mean yeah that's that's part of the the frustrating thing with the movie is like the fact that there's no baseline narrative level really established especially when that cold open kind of catches you flat-footed and when it goes into the the rest of the story it's like doesn't seem like it's related 
And then right. you end up with all these conflicting accounts and you don't establish like a narrative like who should be trusted because there's also this whole thing with uh, Ali uh, is suspecting that when... <laughs> which is kind of hilarious when Tim yeah. goes to the kitchen to talk on, to make a phone call, she suspects that, uh, Oksana tries to, that, that, that he sleeps with her while they're in the kitchen within earshot of everyone in the living room, which is her and the preacher. And it's like, and he's not, it doesn't seem like he's gone anywhere near long enough for anything like that to happen. There is the implication that Oksana is coming on to him. Uh, oh, but, well, it's not an implication. Well, she, she, she definitely does. does. I don't know. Girls do that around me all the time. I'd say I don't. It doesn't mean anything. Um, <laughs> but uh, but he Tim is totally open with Allie about the fact that that happens. Right. He's very um, very forthcoming about it, which is like rare. Like it's cool. It's like a different yeah. take. But then you don't know if you should trust him. Like who's seeing what is real? And yeah, it. Yeah. Yeah, I I feel like I understood what they were going for, but um it kind of uh, violates the suspense rule mm-hmm. of you never see the bomb under the table. Right. Uh, in, in this thing, you never have any understanding of like what kind of danger they're really in. It sort of escalates in not like an escalator. It's like there's fits and starts where it kind of rises. Um, so throughout the course of the evening, the couple is there Weird stuff happens. Allie, thinks that she sees a, a creepy kid in the barn. Mm-hmm. They think that he's being held against his will and he needs help. Um, you know, they, they confront the couple mm-hmm. after they get caught at different times. And then uh, as they try to escape, it seemingly the house is keeping them inside, but it seems to actually be the telekinesis from the boy in the barn. Like they try to bust out the, the coverings of the windows and they fly back into place. Mm-hmm. And each time they try to like kick a door open, it slams shut. The crosses fly off the walls and, and hit them, pelt the, the young couple. Uh, all that stuff is, it's pretty neat and it, it keeps you entertained, <laughs> at least while it's happening. <laughs> well, and then uh, there's, they managed to call a cop and he comes out. Yeah, this, this is what I, <laughs> this is what I was getting to because it's the most, yeah. it's, it's kind of the best part of the whole thing as far as I'm concerned. Yeah. Well, my favorite part's t- closer to the end, but, but. We'll, we'll get okay. there in a second, but yeah, the, the, <laughs> the cop goes to look in the backyard and then gets thrown into the cosmos. <laughs> he gets thrown yeah. into outer space. The, the, it, it's like someone, uh, this, this cop comes to the rescue and he can't, you don't know if he can't hear the couple or what's going on, mm-hmm. but it looks like somebody just flicks him mm-hmm. and he flies off into space. Um, it looks like, it looks like Superman threw him, uh, and it's totally ridiculous. And then his his flashlight slams back to earth. Uh, and it was, <laughs> I was like, okay, this movie is at least not taking itself as seriously as uh, the previous one, which I liked. And then yeah, so basically they finally are. They end up in the morning after. They I feel like they're like allowed to leave, or they're about to leave with like this guy who comes by to drop off stuff every week yes. or something. And then they steal the cop car to get away from everybody because they don't trust anybody and the kid has a toy car carrier and yes. uh, and he just starts taking cars and throwing them off the car carrier and then we cut to what's very obviously stock footage of a big action sequence with cars falling off of a car carrier which then we cut to shots where they shot the main couple tim and Allie, in the car trying to match up with the sequence where they're dodging cars 
um and eventually they hit one and and, and die and that's the ending but uh it's well they, they don't both die well they both, that's dies. right that's right because Allie gets up and she's like i have to go she goes back right or she actually yes. she's gonna go back because the kid needs someone there or whatever but uh I, i'm not certain that it's from bad boys too but i think it's from bad Boys. i'm pretty sure it's from bad boys too it may you have been referring to the the stock footage the stock footage yeah I'm like 99.99% sure if it's not in the movie bad boys too, it's it's footage that landed on the cutting room floor. It's the first time I can think of seeing stock footage. So blatantly used in a movie made after like the 1960s. I feel like, uh, huh. like, I don't know. Like you try to pass off stock. I mean, there's, there's footage like, I don't know of a rocket taking off in a movie. Sometimes maybe oh, they might use stock footage for that. I don't know. There, there's examples where it's used in a little bit where they try to like fold it into the narrative where it's not a huge deal. But this is like such a blatant, weird, like we're just going to steal an action sequence from another movie. <laughs> it was weird. Uh, anyway, yeah, it was. But then it was it was kind of fun because it was like, wait, it's like I like I saw it sort of sat up right like, oh, this is different than what I was expecting the ending to be. That's well, and <laughs> that's that. Uh, <laughs> the the delivery guy who brings their supplies did you recognize him i i did not uh that's Dwayne whitaker mm-hmm. uh who played maynard in pulp fiction oh well there you go yeah okay amongst like i just like I just a whole up, yeah. bunch of other a whole bunch of other uh roles i mean he's been active for the last like 30 years 30 30 plus years um and continues like he reminded me of See, his name is escaping me now. It's a. There's it, like two. It, it's Dwayne Whitaker. You were just. You just said it. I'm just kidding. Sorry. Oh yeah, yeah, Dwayne Whitaker. That's. <laughs> uh, there's two or three other kind of dude character actors who mm-hmm. have this same sort of like bearded, shaggy yeah. quality about them. But yeah, at, at the end of the movie, he's actually the one who kind of rescues Allie from the car crash, mm-hmm. um, and takes her back to the weird shack. Uh, it's revealed that preacher kind of has this harem uh, of ladies and he is apparently uh, trying to find a new host for the, the corn spirit to live in the, he who walks behind the rose because the, the little boy who's locked up in the, in the shed currently, he, they make some reference to the fact that like the spirit burns them out or something mm-hmm. um, like as if they they can't survive with the spirit in them very long, which is, a, I think if they follow the same story, and it's actually this next uh, sequel, which is written by the same guy, is going to kind of follow that. It could be super cool. Like, that's a neat idea that, yeah. you know, they uh, these children are kind of sacrificed to it by, um, the, you know, the people around them. I like that. I just I wonder. I mean, I feel like I may have under like I may have just glossed over like the seismic implications for me, like mentally of like there being another children of the corn movie. Uh-huh. <laughs> and like yeah there's something I've like i i definitely this wore me out more than i was expecting it to watching all these okay do you want to you want to run through and do a, a thumbs up thumbs down general recap of them sure uh disciples okay. of, disciples of the crow thumbs up thumbs up thumbs up um children of the corn 1984 thumbs up thumbs up i it is very close to my heart i love that that movie uh, I like it slightly less, but it's very good, uh, especially okay. compared to what followed. Uh, Children of the Corn 2, The Final Sacrifice. Thumbs up. Th- th- thumbs mostly up. It's pretty good. Fun. Mm-hmm. Better than some of the other ones that are coming. 
Mm-hmm. Children of the Corn 3, Urban Harvest. Thumb, like, like angled to the side just a little bit? I think I like this but a little more than Final Sacrifice. Okay. So overall, uh, we're talking thumbs up. Thumbs up, yeah. Uh, Children of the Corn 4, The Gathering. It's it's weird. It's it, uh, has more rules than a lot of the other ones. Uh, it was a good production, and it has Naomi Watts and Karen Black in it. So thumbs up softest of thumbs up okay for me kind of lost the plot for me i was stubbornly still trying to i wasn't re like realigning my like perspective to be like oh these are not going to have anything to do with it i was like how is this going to try to adapt the short story or follow up on the basic premise how is this going to do it properly or is it going to try and so i think that's why i had such that's part of why i had such a hard time with the rest of them Show yeah. the corn five fields of terror. Oh, this is where it gets rough. I'm going to go, um, you know, when, um, in gladiator, when mm-hmm. the thumb is sideways. Yeah. Uh, and he's about to make his decision. This, it gets a sideways. Um, it's a nineties time capsule. Mm-hmm. Uh, but whoa, not great. I'm also sideways with you. That's not, not a great, uh, not a great it's got time. David Carradine. Like yeah. his head splits open and spits fire like that's kind of cool uh, silo always on fire a lot of fire stuff in this one so children of the corn 666 isaac's return yeah we're thumbs down pretty much pretty much down thumbs down children of the corn revelations thumbs down that's um i'm like i'm like jabbing my thumb down a little bit for this one yeah i'm like i yeah i hit the table with my thumb yeah it's a little more violent um children of the corn the tv movie thumbs down uh the the harshest of thumbs downs for me uh you know what also vietnam war thumbs down not a fan well uh hot take and a strong stance that's (laughs) that's daring i'm glad you spoke your mind you speak truth to power about disapproving of the vietnam war it's about time Uh, you know because somebody said something um yeah it's I'm glad you're on the 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 vanguard of of uh, criticizing the Vietnam War. Uh, and uh, children, but yeah, thumbs <laughs> thumbs down. Sorry, I interrupted. Uh-huh. Uh, I was excited to get to the next one because I was going to call it Children of the Corn Terminator Genesis. <laughs> That's a stupid joke. I kind of like Terminator Genesis. I like it, anyway, it's... Children of the Corn Genesis, thumbs down, but slightly with less severe. Yeah, we're we're back to um, kind of the like seventy five percent disapproval rating. I not, this not the full hundred. Maybe maybe right same level as five, maybe a little above, just because it's shorter. See, yeah, see, yeah, I would, I can understand that. A children of the Corn, run away. I'm just kidding. <laughs> sure, uh, I'm I'm gonna preemptively give it uh, back to that total sideways thumb. Yeah, I think as we'll of, have to see as of right now. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah. It's, no, no, I'm I'm not even giving it the I don't know. I'm giving it giving it sideways. Like, I'm giving it fifty percent based on the the fact that they're making another. I'm I'm tempted to just go ahead and give it a thumbs down, but oh. that that isn't fair. No, it's not. And it has That's more of a pedigree than the ones preceding it, so I'll give it the benefit yeah. of the doubt and stay sideways. Yeah. So takeaways. No, no more of these. Is that your takeaway? That's my takeaway. That's your takeaway. Yeah. My takeaway is don't make any more, but also if you're going to make them, give some thought to the subtext. Uh, yeah, the Vietnam stuff it wasn't even subtext; it was just pure text, and it was not great uh, in those 
couple where it touched on that. The, um, yeah, mine would be like, pay attention to the first one. What actually made it good and interesting. Mm-hmm. And a lot of that was the character stuff. Yeah. Like, yeah, it's fine to have like cool kills and all that kind of stuff, but I don't know what makes things work is strong story, strong character. If you're not going to have either one, I don't know, like have a really good effects department, I guess. <laughs> well, I, yeah, that's one of the things that's true of, of horror uh, in general is that if you, you can, it's a reason that like a lot of big budget horror movies tend to be like, eh, whatever. Cause yeah, you can't really throw money at horror much the same way. You can't throw money at comedy and make it work. You kind right. of have to have the characters there and, yeah, the conceit will go a long way too, but if you have like a novel idea, but if you don't have the characters, it's not going to last and it's not going to work. So that's a really good takeaway. Yeah, I, th- I think it's uh, it's funny because I do feel like uh, this was a journey and maybe we learned a little something or at least uh, confirmed our suspicions on the fact that story is important when you're making movies. <laughs> Speaking of, after my takeaway, which was basically don't make any more of these, please. My advanced studies is uh, here's what I would do if I'm faking one. <laughs> uh, no, I, th- I think I think what was bugging me about all of these is that the the idea of of children that worship some cultish thing enough to kill all the adults in a town. The thing that's scary about it is that like that the the premise is scary. Like it's not what the thing is. It's not the kids on their own after they've killed all the adults. The thing that's scary is the kids taking over the town. And we only get glimpses of it, even in the best versions of these, which I think the the sequence of the uh, kids uh, in the coffee shop in the first one is probably it's one of the strongest parts of the movie. And it's one of the most one of the only parts of that movie that really like unnerved me a little bit. Um, Right. I think it's it's very I think if you if you're going to a a good approach for this material would be to say you just have you know some characters solving a murder or a series of murders in a town that are mysterious that maybe involve corn i don't know and then it turns out later on like oh it's the kids doing it the whole time and they're crazy and like your main characters aren't the kids your main characters aren't people who aren't part of the town your main characters are people who live in the town because that they're the people that are losing everything they're the people that are have lost their kids to this thing they're the people that have lost the town and i feel like you you get more out of the horror of the premise by focusing on that aspect of it and none of these did that to me. Uh, none of them really seemed to consider that as a possibility. Uh, they all kind of, I think the final sacrifice maybe came closest because it actually featured more kids killing adults. But even so, there wasn't, I don't know, it didn't quite go all the way there. Yeah, I felt like two and three because of kind of the the plots of people like trying to adopt the kids mm-hmm. um, and and normalize them or deprogram them it definitely like they started off and they could have gone that direction yeah there's even talk at the beginning of two about um some of the people don't want the kids around and other people think that they're fine or you know they just need new homes basically and i that is a totally like it's an interesting way what if several of those kids move to your town and mysterious shit started happening yeah and like nobody actually wants to blame the kids like that's I don't know. And no that one, is interesting and compelling. And no, no one believes you if you if you see you know it's like what some kids did this. Come on, right? And uh, yeah, on that note, uh, what do you have something in advanced study or some kind of 
additional observation that we didn't get we didn't get a chance to tackle in the good god two hours we've <laughs> been talking about children <laughs> of the party um i would say as an advanced study uh actually and it's i don't know it's it's a film that i've long loved and actually i guess there's probably it's a whole genre but killer kids movies mm-hmm. but i would go back to the bad seed the original the bad seed have you ever seen this movie i have it's in a long time okay yeah. um i mean i know they did like a remake in the 80s i want to say mm-hmm. like mid 80s um but yeah it's uh from 1956 based on a stage play mm-hmm. and it's like this movie about a a bad in bad seed she's an <laughs> evil kid she's a, she's a killer kid and nobody can really believe that she is as evil as she is mm-hmm. and i don't know i remember watching this when i was a kid um it was one that my mom would reference oh yeah the remake was in 1985 it says here it was a, a television version oh, okay. um but I, I kind of think the the spiritual uh, successor would be uh, the good son. Very similar as far as nobody believes that the, the kid can be as bad as they are and they look totally angelic. I don't know. It seems to be a movie where a lot more attention is paid to uh, the characters around her and what's happening that nobody can buy into it um, for a whole variety of reasons. Everybody kind of has their own problem in the film and... It's one that I really want to revisit myself, especially after watching um, Seance on a Wet Afternoon yesterday. I I, I watched that film as a, as a palate cleanser um, <laughs> to still stay within the um, thriller kind of realm, but to you know get away from Children of the Corn for a little bit. Uh, and I don't know, it's another movie that kind of reminded me of that same tone. Not Killer Kid, but it had the same feel as the bad seed mm-hmm. and I really liked it. And it's what brought the bad seed back to mind. So that would be mine. Uh, watch it. I don't know. Find somebody putting on the play, put on watch the play. Other, yeah. You put on the play yourself. Yeah. Um, <laughs> uh, go and visit Mervyn Leroy's grave. He directed it. Um, <laughs> he's a fantastic, uh, actor and director. <laughs> so, Anything that's not Children of the Corn is basically <laughs> is, yeah. what, is what I'm saying at this point. I feel like I did not like I I I could have I don't know. I feel like I, I kind of hit a wall early on in this series and didn't really didn't give as as much full critical consideration as I could have to some of these. But with that said, I'm not a hundred percent sure. I don't know. I just feel like I haven't had as much of substance throughout this episode it's kind of been more like i don't know maybe i have i'm getting self-conscious about it i feel like i could have done a little more digging now that i'm going uh, to but i mean i I, you're like no no no, it's done now uh i feel like we got a lot of good stuff in there Uh, i think that even by negative examples we learned some good things or at least we're able to talk about some good things Uh, they're fairly simplistic like make likable characters stuff like that <laughs> but i do think it's uh they're important lessons because that's why some of these movies tended to fail but you know speaking of things with more substance i kind of think that we're going to step away from from horror and horror related things for the next episode at least uh what are we uh, thinking about for the next show so for our next episode we're going to talk about 
let's just go ahead and say three of the films of Errol Morris. Um, yes. We're going to talk about uh, basically not everything that Criterion's put out because they put out a few more, but we're going to talk about The Thin Blue Line and we're also going to talk about Gates of Heaven and Vernon, Florida. Yes. I think I've seen, I mean, we've both seen these before. I'm looking forward to revisiting them. Basically just, there was a, there was a big Criterion sale <laughs> and uh, we need uh, to justify spending as much money as we did so we're gonna start <laughs> start going through those also uh the fact that the thin, the thin blue line i think if you follow me on letterboxd it might still be in my top movies okay it is currently not it is one of my favorite films though it's yeah that's one that i recommend to anybody when they're talking about documentaries and stuff it's way up there for me well, so i'm excited to get to talk about it yeah, it's sort of, uh, it was the first, maybe not the first, but you probably got to go back to In Cold Blood, but I mean, it's one of the first of that, like the Jinx, uh, serial, all these like true crime things, making a murderer. It kind of started the ball rolling, at least with the documentary filmmaking approach to that, I feel like. True crime. Well, but also the fact that it uses reenactments mm-hmm. of uh, what the people talk about, mm-hmm. and uh, it's the first kind of... Um, true crime activist documentary as well. Mm-hmm. Um, I don't know. Errol Morris is super interesting. Uh, he's a super interesting guy and uh, I think filmmaker as well. So yeah, that'll be uh, the next episode. Let's see. We've got an updated uh, social media scrawl. Yeah. For everybody. Let's do it. Uh, you can check us out on social media. You can follow me at a Ford 88. That's a Ford eight, eight on Twitter. And I'm also on Letterboxd as Meadford, that's M-E-A-D-F-O-R-D. And please don't hesitate to email us at empathymachinepodcast at gmail.com with thoughts, responses, comments, suggestions, and or uh, just uh, more in-depth critical analyses of the Children of the Corn sequels. (laughs) Please follow us on Instagram also uh, at The Empathy Machine, all one word. That's uh, T-H-E, Empathy Machine. Uh, And uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, You can also follow me on Twitter. I am at Spartacus. That's S-P-A-R-T-I-C-K-E-S. Same name over on Letterboxd, uh, which if you don't use it, is a really great service. And we use it for all kinds of things other than just tracking the the films that we're watching as we watch them. Make sure, please, to rate and review the Empathy Machine podcast on iTunes. You can check out links to my video production work at www.the79hawks.com that's T-H-E 79 Hawks like the bird but lots of them this has been a 79 Hawks production